all right, Landon, we're get we're 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 here. We're doing it. Galaxy Quest Part Two. So look, here's the thing. This is the this is clearly the strongest movie we've ever watched for the podcast. Yes, and I I Confirmed. think. We need to be, I think that we need to just go in really strong to this episode. So if you'll permit me, the Mokhtar chant of strength. I, I think this this will give us all the juice that we need to really do this movie justice. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. Narak Taroth. Narak Taroth. Narak Taroth. Narak Taroth. Narak Taroth. Narak Taroth. Is there a limit to how, or a extent to how many times we got to say it? We just, just as as long as it feels good, man. As long as it feels good. Oh, okay. Then I stopped at the right time. We're back. We're, we we didn't we didn't give up. We didn't surrender. We're back for the second half of Galaxy Quest. The latter two thirds of Galaxy Quest. Uh, well, one could say we surrendered. Uh, at the end of that last episode in order to come back. But we didn't give up. We're, we're we, back to do another one. I, ne- never give up, temporarily surrender. That is the grunt work motto. And uh, I, I, like to, I, like to, I like to live that every day, you know? <laughs> Likewise. Um, so uh, let's just dive right back into uh, the episode, uh, the movie we were covering. Where did we leave off last, uh, last month? Uh, so, <laughs> last month where we left off uh, was the entire crew of the NSCA Protector, the former cast of the TV series Galaxy Quest. Uh, mm-hmm. They are in space. They know they are in space. Uh, they have just found out that the warlord they are going to negotiate with has brutally Serious. tortured uh, the uh, former commander of their ship. And uh, yeah. uh, they, the rest of the crew wants to go back uh, to Hollywood and not potentially get tortured themselves, but they are informed by Mathazar, head of the Thermians, that, oh, they have actually just arrived at the evil warlord Saris's ship. They have gone to the bridge uncertainly, and he is up on uh, the, the big screen. Uh, uh, and in other words, the moment when shit got real. Yes, the, the, moment, the moment at which this movie just uncorks... Uh, you know, probably an hour of nonstop action and great yeah. bits. So, and it, it starts off so memorably because because we have Tim now facing down to Saris, trying to uh, like now knowing, oh, this is actually an alien, not being hungover and just treating it as a job that he's half-assing. And Saris is demanding the Omega Thirteen from him, and Tim at, at first is stammering that he doesn't know what it is, and then he. <laughs> He he attempts to basically do the shit that he would do on the show and says, wait, I, let me get it. I just got to put it in a box for you. I'll be right back. <laughs> he makes the cutting gesture across his neck to uh, Sigourney Weaver, who responds in kind. And then assuming that the connection has been cut, he loudly tells the whole crew that Saris is an idiot and they're going to just shoot at his ship a whole bunch <laughs> <laughs> except Saris, in fact, except like Sigourney Weaver doesn't know how to turn off the connection, so Saris has seen all of this. Uh, yeah, I. So okay, where do you, where do you want to dive in with this? I mean, um, I realize at the uh, after we finished recording the last episode that we basically got so lost in the sauce of loving this movie that we didn't synopsize each act as we were going along. So, um, you brought us up to speed. Why don't you take us? 
from this point to maybe when they go onto the planet, and then we'll we'll break it down from there. Uh, sure, sure. Saris is so put off by Tim's behavior that he starts shooting at them immediately. They panic and flee, but they can barely figure out how to fly the ship. They wind up flying into a minefield in space. Uh, which Saris, you know, hangs back, not wanting to fly into the minefield. The ship gets so completely shit-rocked by all the mines that it is basically disabled. They need to find a new beryllium sphere, which is the big alien MacGuffin that powers the ship, and they find that there is a nearby planet, a planet of rocks and deserts, where a beryllium sphere uh, is available. So they go to that planet, and uh, the crew heads down to the surface to try and r- recover this beryllium sphere. Okay, great. Perfect spot great. to pause. And I, I know exactly where I want to uh, start to get into this conversation, which is, I don't think we talked much last time about the fact that uh, the Thermians have developed this entire ship and all of the technology in it based on what they were watching in the quote-unquote historical documents. Uh, yes, I mean, we did We did talk about that uh, to some extent, the fact that like the whole crew, like all of the stuff that they have to do on the bridge is directly based on stuff they were doing on the show 30 years ago, and they have to try and remember that in order to succeed. Uh, well, you expect me to remember what we talked about a month ago? I I know I I don't expect you to remember what we talked about a month ago. I also don't know where you're getting this this one month number because it feels a, a lot. Uh, perhaps the perhaps the Mokhtar uh, chant of strength uh, weakened some of your life force, Commander. Um, I, we're in space. Things happen relatively here. Uh, time time is relative, and also that is how time works when you are snowed in uh in negative degree weather and can't leave your house for days one day feels like a week and so it's been one week since we last recorded therefore it's been over a month yeah it's it's been one week since you talked to me basically um (laughs) well okay Uh, how about more specifically in this moment when he's talking to saris and he motions for sigourney scorny weaver to to cut the thing like the fact that they don't know how this actually works. This starts to come into play here. She's like, I, you told me to. You expect me to know actually how to cut it? And, you know, that's why, you know, Saris hears everything that they talk about. It, really, really, I, I, this exchange between Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen is really funny to me. It, it, it is, and it's also, this is another case where it is Tim playing comedy very well. He, when, yeah. you know, afterwards when he finds out that everything he said has made it through to Saris, and you know, he turns to Sigourney Weaver and says, I made the cut the connection symbol, and she says, no, you made the we're dead symbol, and I was agreeing with you. Like, <laughs> the, the, him being frustrated by this is played just the right amount and it it, it is not laid on any further but you can kind of hear the growl in his voice is like a shade of the stuff that he was doing on home improvement but not not played too much crucially yeah exactly and um the continuing with that uh you've got um the pilot you know who yeah laredo they well yeah laredo they they say you know they patterned it after watching the historical documents. So he should, in theory, know what... Yeah, I remember talking about this now. He should, in theory, know how to fly the ship, but uh, having to navigate this thing through a minefield, uh, it clearly takes a little bit of practice, even if you are the one that developed the... uh, um, Okay, do you think the person who invented the car had to take driving lessons? Uh, You know, that's... I, I don't think they did. I don't I don't think the the or because it was like nobody even knew that there had to be lessons around. It was just like, hey, I just made this thing. I may as well test it, you know. 
But I mean, do you think he was an expert at it uh, right out the gate or, you know, was he on par with, you know, the average Joe on the street who's never set foot behind a wheel before? Yeah, no, I would imagine that even if you were involved in the engineering of the thing and, and understanding how it works in theory, there's going to be a learning curve, maybe a, yeah. a, a maybe not as steep a learning curve for you as for an average Joe off the street. Um, and I do love the, the excuse that, that Mathazar makes once they get to the bridge and they're saying, well, where are all the other Thermians? And he says, oh, well, they're, they're below decks. My, you know, my people are gifted scientists, but all of our attempts to operate this technology that we've built has ended in disaster. So it really <laughs> does, it really does make it like, you know, th- this is 100% on you guys now. If you guys yeah. can't figure it out, we sure as shit can't figure it out. Um, um. I want to get to Sam Rockwell in a second, but uh, just to continue on this this point, uh, after this scene with Saris, they go to kind of the uh, um, oh my god, this is my forty year old brain not working, but uh, on uh, Star Trek when they go to the command room, what, what's the like With the engine situation room? room? The well, which room? They, well, well, like who goes where? Who are the they going to going to which Patrick, space? Patrick Stewart, Riker. Oh yeah, you know, to, Picard, the, to the Riker. To the bridge, I guess. No, not the bridge. It's after some event happens oh, after on the bridge. Got, oh, the, they go the to like, ready room or the briefing room or something like that. Yeah, not Picard's little side office, but like where they go to sit around that conference table and talk about what they're going to do. Yes. Uh, we essentially get that scene here. And uh, while they're trying to figure out, okay, what are our options? Uh, and th- I love this like exchange. They ask Sigourney Weaver a question, and Sigourney Weaver has to ask the computer. The computer tells Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver has to repeat it because that's what she did on the show. Just a a real uh, kudos to her comedic chops here. She plays us both broadly for comedy, but there's a sincerity to her frustration. Yes. Like there's something real coming out of like, I this is one job I have. It is stupid as shit, but I am going to do it, goddammit. <laughs> it is I mean, I'm putting words in words in her mouth, but uh it the the sentiment is there and it's fucking funny to me. The the only words you're putting in her mouth are the swear words that the studio yeah. insisted they cut because of uh, because this was <laughs> supposed to be a family film. Uh, no, it is it is great and this is the thing in in this in this scene after all of the disasters of of their first encounter with Sarah has happened where she is yelling at uh, you know she's been repeating everything that the the computer said Laredo tells her how annoying that is she yells at him this is my one job I'm gonna do it later in the movie when they're at the chompers and she's just yelling about how how dumb it is that there would be a bunch of smashy poundy things inside of a spaceship it it takes me back to how good Sigourney Weaver is yelling at men in space (laughs) this is something that I really love in (laughs) aliens like her just taking it to the the marines her taking it to uh Paul Reiser's character and it's like it's it's that again that once again men being stupid have put her in peril and she's mad about it Uh, yeah, I just like that it's played for laughs, and that we don't we don't get to see broad comedy uh, Sigourney Weaver very often, and uh, I, I'm just here for it. Is all. Yeah, I, I also speaking of some comedy back, you know, so d- during their during their encounter, dur- like when they are fleeing from Saris, he's shooting missile. Well, I mean, even when the thing first starts, I'm gonna crack open Sam Rockwell first because I really want okay. to. Yes. Sam Rockwell is up there. He is the most shook out of everyone by the video he's just seen of the old commander getting tortured. He is sweatier. <laughs> yes. He has more sweat on his face than the dude at the beginning of Big Trouble who's screaming at Tim Allen. And 
He's sitting there, you know, they've been having this whole argument, uh, Tim and Sigourney Weaver, about like, well, that was the the cut us off. No, that was the we're dead signal. And Sam Rockwell just pipes up and says, guys, there's a a red dot moving towards a green dot. And I think we're the green dot. And I'm surprised that all of the stuff in this hasn't, like, I'm surprised that it doesn't feel old or overdone because I'm yeah. surprised that every movie since then hasn't run this into the ground. I'm surprised that Guardians yes. of the Galaxy wasn't playing all these same cards of the guy yeah. not really understanding the, the systems in front of him but trying to explain it and freaking out. Like, Well, well one thought came to me since last week when we talked about alternate casting. Yeah. And... Uh, when I was thinking more about Alec Baldwin in the Tim Allen role, yeah, I was thinking that just the way that he plays comedy would inherently make this more of a parody. Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, I I think while that could be funny in and of itself, we already have Spaceballs, and so mm-hmm. I think that uh, the casting of Tim Allen, you know, just creates the the, the final alchemy that allows. Sam Rockwell to just kind of be more eccentric than playing those beats more on the nose. Uh, yeah, yeah. The the fact that this is not that this is a Star Trek parody that is not a parody. Yeah, that that it is it is seizing yeah. on what if a bunch of Star Trek type actors from a Star Trek show were in space, but then it just leaves it at. Like what, that's that's a funny situation. Let's see what that's like without feeling yeah. the need to zig and zag to check every box of Shatner impression, uh, right. throwing a big fake boulder, even though boulders do come into play very soon. Uh, Which and- is great because there's no there's no avatar, there's no one to one ratio uh, for a Sam Rockwell character in Star Trek. Yes, and that's exactly. what allows him to kind of create his own thing because he is playing on the the idea of an actor that played a red shirt on the original show yes and what what would they be going through if they were in a real world scenario knowing that they are just <laughs> they, what if, what if the the um protagonist of a film noir knew his fate when the movie started <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly the the guy who knows that he is going to be, that he is the cannon fodder for every bad situation that happens it's, reacting yeah. to the new bad situation and, and I, it just his his the the manic the the peak of it to me is right at the end of the synopsis you said when they land on the the um the planet he just he knows death is coming for him at any turn Yes. And he doesn't know if it's going to be the red dot coming to the green dot. He doesn't know if it's going to be landing on this this uh, you know rock planet, um, which is you know very much how the red shirts would die going to a planet and getting killed. So when uh, Tony Shalhoub just opens the door, he's like, "Do you? What are you doing? Do you even know if there's air?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just playing at like dialed up to eleven, and it is utterly amazing. I the, the, his his line when they're going down to the planet where he's saying I, I want to go back I want to go back like you you were making a, such a fuss about coming he's like that was when I was scared that I was going to be the guy who stays on the ship and something bad happens but now I'm scared I'm going to be the guy who goes to the planet and something bad happens which is <laughs> just the existential crisis that he's going through is so funny and so uh, but no to to your point though about the different like kind of character archetypes and the way that they are they are 
not really going one for one with Star Trek. I think that in this chase sequence where they're freaking out, they're they're holding down the boost button to try and go as fast as possible. Everything's exploding. We get Tony Shalhoub calling onto the screen from the engine room, doing the thing that always, you know, this thing that always happens on Star Trek is Scotty yelling that the engines can't take much more and he's freaking out. And it's Tony Shalhoub just, again, completely deadpan. This was the the part that made me laugh the most. This made me laugh so much that Kirstie had to come in and check on me because she thought I was was dying or something. (laughs) He, He just is there... Just going, hey guys, uh, listen, they're telling me that the uh, generators won't take it and the ship's breaking apart and all that, so uh, yeah, just FYI. And as he's saying this, in the background behind him, shit in the engine room is exploding, Thermians are like flying back and forth and dangling <laughs> off of catwalks. Imagery that lives rent-free in my head, always, I'm always thinking about just him completely unaffected while everybody behind well, him is like on fire. Not to not to rehash the argument from last week, but those scenes and this the moment when he just opens the door on the the rock planet without knowing yeah. if there's air, that is what made me believe that he his character arc is like not a stoner, but like he has been so browbeaten by the shadow of the show that he's had to live in that he's just given up on life and nothing matters. Uh, mm. Now, I mean, I could be completely wrong. That that was the evidence for my read on it though. It's just like, he doesn't care if they live or die. Like, Oh great. This is how we go. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, I've already, my life has already been ruined. So if I explode in an engine room, you know, whatever, this is, uh, you know, preordained. This is what was meant to happen. Who cares? Nothing matters. Well, and you know what, Uh, coming at this a week or a month later, who, who cares? Nothing matters. I, I, I kind of, almost find myself liking that better now the more that I think about it because that is eventually and you know his his kind of moment of saving uh Tim from the the rock planet his like the whole the whole point that gets made is you 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 know you never missed a line you were always on time to set you know the only thing is you mm-hmm. stopped trying man like this argument that he is the movie the text of the movie really suggests that oh he just he he just doesn't give a shit about anything and is perhaps deeply yeah. depressed and not that well, he is on drugs. You know, there's then the the conclusion to his character arc, which we'll get to, but I don't know how deep we need to talk about it. Is he's the only one uh, that you know finds purpose and love mm-hmm. in another person by the end of this? Yeah, that's true. That's very true. We're, we're not we're not counting the forced romantic interaction between Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver, but which we will get to. Um, but okay. And I think also just as long as we're talking about the chase though, the, the, yeah. the, the Toffian minefield, which they, you know, Tim is the, the ship can't fly that fast anymore. Saris is gaining on them. And Tim is like, we got to take cover in that big cloud thing. And, and Mathazar tells them that it is a minefield full of magnetic mines that fly towards the ship and explode yeah. and just wreak all kinds of havoc. Again, Another- leftover from, you know, the Great War, he, he gives a very specific name for the war. Uh, evidence, of, of- again, as we talked about last time, uh, of this, you know, rich text of science fiction that's happening kind of in the background. 
Yes, the sort the sort of thing that in that in this day and age there would be like a there would be four episodes of the Galaxy Quest series explaining. Yes. Oh, how did the Toffee and Minefield get there? Who were the who <laughs> people? We, we would get a, a Galaxy Quest prequel. It's like Galaxy Galaxy Quest Minefield Origins. Yes, exactly. The 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 you know six uh, issue Dark Horse comic strip tie in all about the creation of the Toffee and Minefield. Yes, it would have all made this so much better. Um. The Toffee and Minefield is another really good sci-fi premise and concept. Yes. A minefield in space, magnetic mines, and the, so that, it's this is also setting up something that will come back crucially at the end of the film. And better yet, like, it, it's just the most elegant way for them to get away from Ceres. It, it, it's because they're... You know, they're not able to outfly him. Like, they, they can't pilot the ship well enough to get away from this guy who actually has been flying spaceships his whole life. They certainly can't yeah. outfight them. The only way that they can, that, that Ceres can be put on the back burner for a minute is if they do something so colossally stupid that they, like, th- that he would not yeah. follow them into it. Like, flying into a minefield is the only place that he won't go after you. And the result of it is that the ship gets so fucked up that they have to spend the next 20 minutes fixing that. Well, isn't this, like, just evidence of the the great structure of this movie, which is uh, crew arrives, doesn't believe it's real, fucks up, realizes it's real, gets away by pure luck, and then sees tragedy and learns and then succeeds through, uh, you know... um, learning and, and, you know, actual effort by the end. I mean, and more than that, they, they succeed through just having fixed their relationships with one another and become yeah. a better team. Like having learned to trust one another, having made amends with one another for their past misdeeds, by which I mainly mean Tim doing all of that. But <laughs> yeah. but they, they all come to like the, the spark of life gets, you know, it reignited in all of them. Yes, absolutely. And it's amazing how honestly kind of how quick that happens and how it feels like in this movie so much more time elapses than actually does much like yeah. how you feel like it's been a month since we last recorded it has been um when they, but i just one other image though as we move along that that sticks with me is when they they come out of the minefield everything's exploded there it uh, goes from all this chaos to just a sh- exterior shot of the ship floating adrift through space, smoking with one of the uh, one of the engines just kind of yes firing. Uh, that image and the sound of it specifically always in my head. Just I'm all I, like that. That is an image that I go back to and think about so much. It is such a like you get a chance to breathe after all this intense stuff, and you're also yeah. thinking, oh man, they have really ruined this spaceship. How are they going to get out of this? And again, I I would normally you know. Uh, roll up my sleeves and call you a nerd for that but uh (laughs) there is something about that image and for me it's the uh the the blue lights where the boosters are on the back of the ship slowly fading from blue to just off yeah and it's a great visual moment of transition like Mm -hmm. oh we're powering down this is a different tone we're gonna go into now uh, rather than ham-fisting it through, you know, I, I feel like a, a modern technique would be, you know, just so overwrought. But that that was just like a delicate little, okay, we, we have to re reconvene and figure out a new, a new situation. We've entered a, into the next phase of the movie at this point. 
yes, absolutely. The all of all of the wonder and aspirational stuff of them seeing the ship and flying out of the space dock and being saluted by all the Thermians, all of that is over now. This is all uh, all come crashing down. Yeah. Um, I, I, I th- want to take this opportunity too, since we're talking a little bit about effects, uh, to talk about the the special effects here uh, yes. that we've seen so far uh, maybe yes. maybe not even the special effects but the uh design mm-hmm. uh and I, i'm thinking of the two ships clearly you've got the galaxy quest ship the nte the not uh, the enterprise uh, yes um uh you know based on star trek but the the uh what's the name of Ceres's aliens I, I don't think they have a name. I think I, like it's okay. just it's just the you know Saris and his dudes. Saris right. ship. There, it's. I would imagine going into this, if I were part of the creative production team, it's a really tricky needle to thread mm-hmm. because you've got a comedy on your hands, yeah, and you've got a little bit of a budget, but so you have to create something that is at once big and bombastic and cartoony because it's a PG movie, but it has to evoke reality because it's you have to get across that these characters, these actors have entered into a reality they didn't realize. Yes. And so you have a, a marriage of the Thermians creating a real fake ship from their show and contrasting that with what a real alien spaceship looks like. Yes. Um, when the when the when Saris's ship is just we get shots of it floating through space like in the chase sequence, it's a damn good design and I feel like it's a a, a perfect encapsulation of those ideas. It's it's real, but you can sense that it would also be a ship. It's kind of okay. Sorry, I needed to talk that out in order to articulate my thought. Yeah, it's it. What it is to me is like you would get the Romulan ships on the TV show and they yeah. would be kind of as toy-esque as the, you know, the Enterprise or, or you know, mm-hmm. the other ships on the show. But then yeah. what we see here, the Ceres' ship is really like the Romulan ship in the movies. Yes. Like there, there, there's a difference between what you see on the TV show and what you see in the movies. Uh, anyway, it, it, I'm just really impressed with um, – with, uh, the design of a lot of these things. Well, no, I, I completely agree because Saris's ship, it is, it, it is organic almost like it, yeah. it has like, I don't know, it, like it, it has kind of almost the same appearance as Saris and his, and his men's skin. And like, it looks there, like it's very much of a completely different culture and science yeah. apparatus. It, like, they, it's like they thought through, the way that they, you know, have done on, with Klingons on, you know, Star Trek, there's a whole culture behind it. You know, what yes. what kind of aliens are these? Okay, what kind of naturally developed technology would they have? What would their technology look like? Like, they thought through those things, and it all feels cohesive. Yes, which, and again, more so than on a lot of episodes of lower-tier Star Trek, speaking as someone who who's... You know, primary experience with Star Trek was Star Trek Enterprise, the worst one, where it seems like every episode was like, <laughs> ah, yes, this alien also has kind of a bumpy, purpley forehead, and that's it. And they <laughs> and they talk, and oh, and they're like medieval people from medieval Earth. That's it. That's all. Oh, it's a cowboy planet. Like, th- this they actually <laughs> thought out. It's like the out. Borg, though. I mean, in reality, it's like, 
what is the Borg ship? We have what the Borg aliens look like, right? A kind yeah. of human, human cyborg, obviously. They they assemble themselves from other parts of people and machinery. What would their spaceship look like? Well, it would be a cube made up of other ships and other technologies. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it, it the 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 technology comes organically from the culture that they've developed. Yes. Anyway, I, I'm overstating the point, but it's very much done here for such a a what could be thankless and I feel like in today's day and age it would just be kind of generic, you know, bug alien. Yeah, completely. <laughs> completely. I think like Avengers is the last time they're like okay, we're going to develop some sort of alien culture and everything since then is just like, oh yeah, yeah, some sort of insectoid flying centipede thing comes through a hole in the sky and yeah. they have ships that kind of look like exoskeletons but, you know, aren't exactly and yeah, yeah, you know. probably because that was more or less what the thing looked like in Avengers and everything since then yeah, has been exactly. copy-pasting. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. And it, th- just thinking about the effects and the design of so much of this movie, I mean, A, watching it, and watching it closely, like, I've rewatched the second half of the movie or the second two-thirds of the movie uh, to earlier today just to kind of, like, refresh myself. And yes. I'm, I'm looking closely at this stuff. These effects hold up very well. They look better than effects in things in some things today. Uh, and then, I don't know, it, it makes me think about one of the lines from the documentary, uh, Never Give Up, Never Surrender, where I think it's Dean Pariso says that the effects in this movie are the straight man. And, I mean, I think uh, that's... Yeah, a, yeah. Because the, the effects are what establish the stakes. The effects are what, I mean, in their own way kind of set up the comedy of this movie like you buy the fact that oh god these actors are in over their heads because everything around them is so real you but but there there's a version of that i feel like you know i feel like modern filmmakers could watch that documentary take that sentiment and then attempt it now but it's it's really living in the details of this movie and i want to point out the character design of saris himself here yeah which is when he it's you know, he's completely man in suit it's it's makeup it's costume yeah and some animatronics yeah when he's like when he gets aggressive and in someone's face he's got these like wings wing sort oh, of God. spiky they, things that pop up they deploy kind of like a peacock yeah you know it's an intimidation factor yes and I feel like that would be the first thing cut now or, you know, it would be done with CGI, which, you know, is not necessarily bad. But there is thought behind, oh, this is an alien species that, you know, have a natural instinct uh, uh, that triggers a physiological thing when they're being, you know, when they're intimidating. And he's even got these like little antenna coming off his head that should just be flopping around in, you know, any other movie. But. As he's thinking and as he's talking, they're kind of moving in a intelligent way uh, yeah. that is subconscious to the viewer. But like just the the way one little spindly thing moves, it makes you feel uncomfortable. The way that you watch like a spider's leg move or something. Yes, yes, I yeah. It, it the this is completely the first place that they would cut corners today, and I think that really. I think part of the part of the magical alchemy of this movie is that in 1999 prob like I think visual effects weren't quite at the place where they like the reason that a lot of movies today look worse than this is because they are trying to do too much with visual effects and they are mm-hmm. in a lot of cases <clears throat> not paying enough, not giving enough time like they just don't it's kind of like 
pretty good 2024 visual effects don't look as good as Galaxy Quest, where it's like, we're going to use practical effects for most of it, and then we're going to use CGI for a spaceship flying through space or a spaceship flying by a planet. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. it's not them doing, we're going to use CGI to build every one of these aliens and they're just talking to, you know, a, a tennis ball on a stick the whole time. They they knew where to <laughs> use it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they also used CGI to create space. I, they didn't. They didn't go up to to space and just shoot uh, some film, some B roll of space, and then CGI a ship in it. I, I I mean, are you are you sure? Is that on? Is that on IMDb <laughs> that it says that? Like, I, I'm looking here at filming locations, and it does say space. <laughs> it, it it's it says it says here Toffee and Minefield. They they, oh, they went up okay. to the. I'm... I'm mistaken. I'm sorry. Yeah, come on. Dude. I didn't do my research. Yeah, the only other movie to shoot in the Toffee and Minefield is Driving Miss Daisy. That's I don't. I, I guess I guess that was a deleted scene where where he's just you know pedaled the metal through the minefield and there's magnetic <laughs> mines chasing after him. Yeah, should we should we move on to? I, I don't know. We talked about Alan Rickman a lot last episode. I I don't know. Do we? Is there anything we need to know to keep up with this character arc uh, before we get to the planet? Uh, I mean, well, there's, you know, there is one. Okay, there's one note that I want to give to him, and I can't decide though whether I want to hit this before or after I talk about. Um, there's a big moment from them in the ready room, basically, that I want to talk about first, and I think we should we should. There's okay. one more piece of Alan Rickman. We'll talk about the Alan Rickman first. Actually, they have decided okay. to go to this desert planet to get the uh, to get the new beryllium sphere. On the way to the shuttle, one of the uh, one of the Thermians. Oh God, I unsa- I do not remember his name. This is not Mathazar, but he comes up to uh, Lazarus and is telling him, you know, oh, I'm I'm such, you know, I, you're you're I'm in, honored to be in your presence. I've tried to live yep. my life by your example, uh, you know. And he starts to do the by Grabthar's hammer, I will avenge you. And and Lazarus just stops him and says, Don't do that. I'm not kidding. Don't do that. And it's. <laughs> I feel like the first time I saw it as a kid, I probably laughed or something, but watching it now, it's like, it, the moment is certainly funny, but at the same time, like, now there's so much more to it because of, like, how, he's not playing the scene for, like, a big laugh, he's not like, oh, no, not this again, he seems genuinely like, I've had a fucked up day already, I'm gonna die in space, don't you dare say that to me, and... And then th- how much it seems to hurt this this Thermian, whose name I'm going to look up right now, is um, <laughs> is pretty pretty heavy. Well, it's it is yeah. We we talked a little bit about Alan Rickman, you know, definitely being able to ham it up uh, with the best of them, yes. and milk every ounce from his lines. Harry but, um, Potter. It, <laughs> uh, again, it just speaks to the casting here, where they're they're able to find the reality of their characters in any given situation. And, you know, while it is, you know, on one level, it's, it plays just like anything else where you can look at it through different lenses on the one hand, you know, as a child, you're watching it and it's funny, but as you get older, the more you watch it, the more you're invested in what's actually going on with his character. It's sad. You're like, you're with him. Like, yeah, I, I understand why you wouldn't want the last thing you hear to be the thing that has defined your life for the ill uh, for the better part of 30 years. And also, like, the older you get and the more you have experiences where you are short with someone who's only trying to help you because 
they've stepped on a landmine or a magnetic mine for that matter that they didn't really understand was there. And you like the the way that that he immediately feels bad about it, like when he tells the guy and, you know, the the uh, the Thermian, whose name is Quellick, you know, he kind of shrinks back. and Oh, I, I'm so sorry. And, and you see in Alan Rickman's eyes kind of this like, fuck, why did I do that? Like, oh, I feel yeah. shitty about this. A very human moment played by a man wearing a prosthetic cap to make him look like an alien. (laughs) Um, I'm glad you brought this up though, because obviously it plays a huge part into, you know, the ending of the movie. Yes. Yes. Um, and I look, I want to, I want to just quickly skip back though, to uh, also a moment of Tim Allen characterization. That's uh, really good in, in the scene before this, that I think also plays in unless, unless you have more to say about, about Rickman and Quellick. Let's do it. They're in the ready room. They're getting just this breakdown on how everything on the ship is fucked up. The, the computer is reading through, you know, shield, 0%, armor, 4%, you know, this, and Sigourney Weaver explaining everything. And Tim is reacting to this. He's having all of his failures presented for him. And on Home Improvement, there are plenty of moments where Tim has completely fucked something up and destroyed something, and he is playing it with this kind of overblown sheepishness kind of like ooh, ooh, oopsie you know and it that's not that's not happening here he's not doing that he looks like he is actually just genuinely kind of upset by it or just just like he is not overplaying the moment he is letting kind of the ridiculousness of the fact that yes this washed up actor didn't do a good job commanding a spaceship so that is Again, a, a tasteful piece of underplaying. But then when the Thermians mm-hmm. come into the ready room and they all are, you know, they look very chagrined and they say, you know, Commander, we're so sorry we failed you. You know, we've we've seen you on the show triumph under much harder circumstances. Clearly, we've, we've made a bad ship. We didn't crew it properly. And the first thing he, you know, he he immediately says, no, you guys didn't do anything wrong. This is my fault. I did this. The fact that A, he doesn't try to put it on the rest of his crew, B, that there's not there's not even a beat of him being like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, thinking about letting them take the fall for this, that he immediately volunteers that he did something wrong here. It's, yeah. I, I think that both, you know, home improvement, but even a lot of stuff today takes a more cynical view where it's like the main character, even if he's a rogue that you're supposed to like, is going to be portrayed as the kind of guy who's going who would secretly like to shirk responsibility for this would at least think about for a couple minutes like trying to avoid the blame and i love that it's just or joke his way out of it yes exactly or and, and yeah but it this is played very straight where he just mm-hmm. uh, you know a shadow of the soul killing dramatic scene coming up in about 20 minutes and yeah. also a thing that we, they don't wait for the end of the movie for him to start developing like this. This is like, what, 45, 50 minutes in. He just says, no, no, Mathazar, I screwed up. I failed you. This is on me. It, which yeah. is, and then you see, you see the reactions of the other crew to this. You see Sigourney Weaver reacting to this and saying, that's not the Jason I know. Like people around him reacting to him starting to change, uh, which I, I think is, uh, again, just mature smart storytelling and I, I wanted to call it out <laughs> and performance you know we talked a little bit in uh joe somebody about this and um as i because i also brush up on uh parts of this movie for today's episode yeah um where 
we talked in Joe somebody about the fact that I'm just trying to be diplomatic about how I phrase this. Yeah. Most of how Tim Allen is filmed in a lot of the, the movies we've watched is in a kind of, you know, single shot of his own, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe giving getting directions off camera and just kind of like, okay, you know, you're watching this person. But yeah. in this movie, there's he you feel the ensemble. Yes. Even if it is a, a single shot, we're constantly cutting away to, you know, check-ins with all of the other characters. Yeah. Um, like you just mentioned with uh, Sigourney Weaver. But there are a lot of scenes where Tim Allen is part of, you know, a medium shot with other actors. And yeah. um, I guess what, what I realized is with so many of the other movies, we've missed out on this like fun opportunity to see him uh, kind of mugging it up with the ensemble, something yes. that we see on the TV show all the time. Cause it's shot, you know, live and with, you know, three cameras, um, there, there's just an energy that comes out of him that is much more playful uh, when he's not just isolated in a, a shot by himself. Yes, yes. And I think that it also, I, I think that just having him in just on a shot to shot level, usually in the frame with other people, I think at foregrounds, again, what this movie is really about, which is about his relationships with other people. Yes. These relationships that they, you know, that is the core focus. That is the thing that needs to be fixed, even more so than their broken ship. And that just translates on the way that scenes look and the way that they are composed, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, playing to its strengths. Um, Okay, let's get to the planet, uh, because this takes us into a completely different, realm um i'm trying to think of of where we should synopsize to here so should we go planet to um maybe the end of uh the mathazar scene yeah i i think i think that i the the big scene yes i think that the big scene yeah I, i that feels right they so the crew all hops into a shuttle all the humans they head down to this rock planet where there is the new beryllium sphere to be found uh, they find an old abandoned mining facility with a bunch of beryllium spheres lying around. This facility is crewed by a bunch of small, kind of infantile child aliens that are very cute looking at first, but then, uh, you know, they're, they're observing them at a distance and everyone is kind of charmed by by the aliens, with the exception of Sam Rockwell, who is very scared that everything on this planet will kill him. Sure enough, uh, these aliens all turn very mean in a way that we're going to discuss. And, uh, and they're, that, that Sam Rockwell predicts. That Sam Rockwell predicts in some of the funniest, some of the funniest and most like just prescient, perfect writing ever put to film. Uh, but they they are able to narrowly get a brilliant sphere off the planet. But in the process, uh, Tim is left behind and captured by these these aliens. Uh, they get back up to the ship. Tim wakes up. He has uh, basically been put into sort of a, a ad hoc arena with first a an alien pig monster. The crew tries to use the transporter thing to transport him up. They wind up transporting the pig. It does not go well for the pig. Then Tim is being chased. Then materializing behind Tim is a gigantic rock monster that... Uh, rock monster? Rock? Rock? <laughs> well, and really... Uh, you know, somebody saw a rock, but it wasn't a rock. It was a rock monster. It, it that literally 
That's why this movie works. It is the adaptation of the song Rock Lobster that we've all been waiting for. Uh, Tim is being chased by the rock monster, uh, and and Tony Shalhoub needs to teleport him up to the ship. Tony Shalhoub uh, is not confident that he can do it. Tim, over the the radio, convinces Tony Shalhoub that no, you can do it. You're you know you were always. You know, you always, you never missed a line. You never missed a cue. You're, you're great. You're one of the best actors I've ever worked with. You just stopped trying, man. That's all. I believe in you. I trust you with my life. And based on the repairing that relationship, Tony Shalhoub is able to transport him back up to the ship. He arrives. It is a, a triumph. Everyone is happy. But then it turns out, oh shit, Saris in the interim has found them again, has boarded the ship. They've got Mathazar captured. Um... Saris and his guys capture the rest of the crew, take them to where Mathazar is being tortured. Uh, Saris is interrogating Tim about what is the Omega-13, and Tim explains to Saris, we're actors from a TV show. They they show him the historical documents that the Thermians think are real. And Saris is... Saris puts it together himself. Saris, yeah. They they show him the historical documents, and and Saris is like, oh... Which, this is going to be so much better than me destroying their lives. A- absolutely. Which which also, Loki, so like, wait, so Saris's race must have TV and theater then, I guess. So the Thermians have no concept of drama, but this guy, so like, what's Prestige TV like? What are they watching <laughs> on Saris's <laughs> ship after hours? Have they got Sopranos? What's up? Um, but A good question. Yeah, but, but it's it's all based on lies and deception, which the Thermians don't have. Uh, yes, and and Lord, Lord knows there's no lying or deception on the Sopranos. Uh, but then, so <laughs> Saris takes special delight in this because he thrives on pain and forces Tim to explain to Mathazar in specific detail that yes, the, the, you know the conceit that they are that they are actors that the show was never real because he takes delight in in seeing this existential suffering. Um, and it is the most heartrending and just impeccable and piece of acting that I, you will ever see Tim Allen do in your life. And it, it, or Enrico for that matter. I, th- what, what blows me away. I mean, there's something happening in Tim Allen's face that I've never seen in another movie or TV show here. Yes. But, what I don't understand, and I've I've watched the scene so many times now, there it it shouldn't work with this alien who speaks like this. But uh, why? But why? Oh, like, God. how do you get? And and with his look, we haven't really talked about the Thermian look, though. I assume most people listening to this have seen the movie where they all you know have these kind of bowl cuts, and you know they're all. Yeah, whatever. They they, they I, prance and, around in a funny way, and yeah, yeah, you know, pale face and just like it shouldn't allow for such deep emotions to come out. Yes, it. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it, it's again. He should have been at least nominated for an Academy Award for pulling this off. He. <laughs> He like because and in the in the documentary, Enrico Colantoni is talking about creating this character and creating the Thermians and how he he went to the Yale School of Drama and boy I I love to clown on the Ivy League but it, this is one case where I I got to take my hat off to you Yale you did a really good job <laughs> teaching this man how to act um, well but he's, I, I want to say but, go ahead. I, he, but he he just he talks about how it 
the, the, the character came from, there were vocal exercises they would do where you speak in all of your vocal, reg- like, you speak in the nasal voice like this, I guess this is a thing they would do, and he just turned that it's into a character. It's up and down, you go, you go up, you go down. Yeah, and that he just, that he, I, I guess, he just went from that, and I think he created a character that was so real, like, he got, I think he just worked backward from the voice, and I think inhabited this character and, you know, this whole race of the Thermians, all these characteristics that he kind of started developing and and getting into. And I think living in this role so deeply and respecting this role so deeply is how you get to a point where you can be in your goofy alien voice going, but why? (laughs) And it's not funny. Even though the things, the thing 30 seconds before and 30 seconds after is the funniest shit you've seen in your life, this moment you want to cry. Well, I'll tell you, for me, and I, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, and we'll circle back to it, but sure. watching this moment, I, I had, I, I mean, the, it hits you in the heart so hard, oh, for God. sure, but for me, this moment makes another moment more possible, which is at the end, and we'll, I won't spoil how we get there, but when, when Mathazar takes his crutch to Saris mm-hmm. and knocks him down and saves Tim's life uh, from being shot. And he goes, never give up, never surrender. Ugh. Like it, that I g- gives me chills and makes me stand up and cheer it's so in a good. visceral way uh, that wouldn't be possible without the, the raw empathy that this scene evokes. It, it the, yeah, like these aliens who, I, I mean, they are nerd aliens. They 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 are looking at them is funny. They are so easy to laugh at, but at the same time, you love them so much and you want to protect them and you want to see them succeed. It, it, and it's that balance where you are both you are both able to laugh at the funny prancy way that they walk around and cheer when this guy totally bodies Saris with his crutch. But okay, let's talk a little bit about um, just script wise why this is an important moment i mean until now tim has been doing this to save his own skin to yes. rekindle his own glory but now he has something to fight for yes uh not only just to wrong a right but like stand up for what's good and in this moment begins his true journey to becoming the captain yes he like the the thing that has been so important to him always is being the captain and that's why he wanted to be up here on the ship that's why he got his whole crew up here and put them in such danger and in that moment where he's forced to confess to Mathazar what's really going on i mean part of what like that 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 is him giving up the thing that matters the most to him and is shedding the identity of the captain and like he's just saying to him you know the ship you saw on tv was fake it's 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 fake just like me you know and he has to mm-hmm. and so like that is him at his lowest emotional point and then everything from there is him building himself back up to be yeah what to be what he aspires to be yeah i and th- that is also uh according to director uh, not director the writer robert gordon in in writing his first draft of the script that moment writing that scene uh, where he confesses to Mathazar was kind of when everything else fell into place. That was when he realized, oh wait, this is gonna work. I can actually everything after that just kind of clicked. And I, 
boy, I mean, in a movie full of scenes that are that are great and totally click, uh, that is a scene that is great and clicks. Well, yeah, I, I isn't that what you strive for as a writer, like to find. I, I would. I also feel like I would have complete confidence in everything else if I knew that the if I found without a doubt the emotional heart of the story I was telling. Yes, it's like everything else feels like you don't have to put as much, not in a lazy way, but like you don't have to to sweat over everything else because you know that the movie's going to mean something. It's when you find that you know yeah it, it's finding that point where it's like oh it's not this isn't anymore a story about a guy fighting for his life it's about a guy fighting to redeem himself in the eyes of this person it's it is it is yet another relationship that tim has to mend and the way that he does that yeah um we we also we done goofed by like talking about the this big crux of the the movie while still skipping the 20 minutes before that of them having adventures on the rock planet of the, of the planet yeah let's let's go back to the planet because i have some stuff to say about that as well okay so all that stuff about about tim doing the most heart-rending dramatic performance of all time uh uh flip it and reverse it that's that's still coming up <laughs> we're going back they land on the rock planet sam rockwell uh ironic also that is that sam rockwell and it's a rock planet makes you think doesn't it <laughs> They they land on the planet. Tony Shalhoub is starting to open the doors of the shuttle, and and Sam Rockwell is saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa it's an alien planet! Can we breathe? Is there atmosphere?" And, and Tony Shalhoub just kind of sticks his head out and sniffs the air and goes, "Yeah, seems seems fine." Seems fine. <laughs> a- apparently, also apparently, Tim Allen pointed that out on set that it's just like, wait, they're just opening that. No one says anything. Like they just open the door and and they don't worry about spacesuits. <laughs> and so they they wrote that line in for Sam Rockwell on the day because of Tim. So. Thank you. Congrats. Um, So this is an interesting take. When we're talking about special effects that hold up or don't hold up, um, these little creatures, which let's introduce them the way they introduce them in the movie, which is great uh, because they're working in a cave. uh, (laughs) And someone says, are they the miners? Uh, But they also look like children. And so he's like, no, not miners, miners. Alan Rickman saying, oh, they must be minors. Tony Shalhoub saying, yeah, they got to be like three years old. Not minors, minors. Uh, (laughs) Honestly, as funny as that wordplay is, that is the only bit in this movie where I think they lay it on too thick because he says, yeah, they got to be three years old. And then we get like a cut to everyone looking (laughs) at him. This is coming from Mr. Wordplay. I mean, look, I like the wordplay. I just, I just would have, I don't think we needed multiple reaction shots of everyone reacting to it before Alan Rickman (laughs) corrects him. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Otherwise, perfect movie, perfect film. All right. All right. Um, but that said, like the, the, as far as special effects go and visual effects, uh, these creatures are the weak link. I feel, um, especially contrasted with how well the rock creature works. Yeah. And the fact that they have a practical, um, uh, monster, costume in the the like little warthog alien that he has to fight yes i guess these age the least well but even then i look back like if you go back and watch the the new old battlestar galactica like the the battlestar galactica they did on sci-fi channel about 20 years ago 
the Cylons in that, the Robo Cylons in that are also CGI, and they have aged worse than this bit from the movie that's five years older than Battlestar. So I, I mean, <laughs> well, you're talking TV. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I get you. Uh, the only thing that makes it passable is that you know they're they're meant to play into the joke of you know, oh look how cute they are. It's it's kind of like a joke that's kind of ahead of its time in the way that like. Right now, any sci-fi adventure or or animated movie has to have yeah. you know a group of cute things that can be manufactured into plushies that people can buy. It's very true, uh, very true. And that they actually turn out to be one of the more vicious creatures in the movie um, it, is it, you know kind of funny, but yeah, be, to, and because they 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 come out of this. You know, the, this cave where they've been working and they're all drinking from like a little trough or something. And then, you know, they're they're watching them at a distance. And then this little injured one comes limping out and they all make some space for it to go over to the trough. And they're all kind of ooing and aahing. Sigourney Weaver in particular, like, oh, that little one's hurt and they're taking care of it. And <laughs> Sam Rockwell is there just going like, no, no, they're cute now. But then something's going to happen and they're going to be scary and they're going to be mean and there's going to be a million of them. <laughs> And sure enough, as the as the injured one is drinking, then all of these other cute child aliens suddenly bare their teeth and they have like a million teeth and they all pounce on him and eat him. <laughs> which, which I like this is yet another reminder that they marketed this film to children. They put this they the geniuses at DreamWorks were like, yeah, you know what? We can I don't know. We can, put, we can pitch that we can put this up against Rugrats in Paris. I this is where I disagree and and where my my point is kind of coming in where it's like they're even though they're supposed to be vicious and everything and the joke works, um they're still cutesy and I don't think it would be scary to any kid watching it. I, th- th- no, no. I mean, I'm going to I'm just saying, in a movie today, a PG movie today, they're never going to posit the existence of a race of cute child aliens that engages in cannibalism gleefully. That is, that is too dark. (laughs) That is too dark for, like, no one would greenlight that for kids today. I'm not even saying necessarily, like, look, I watched this as a kid. I turned out like this. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't think it scarred me necessarily. I, I don't think it's evidence of what I'm not sure, but it's evidence. Why are there so many podcasters today? It's because of this scene in galaxy quest folks, but I like it. I, so I'm not even saying like, that's like a bad thing to show kids. I don't even think it's the most disturbing thing in this PG movie marketed to children, but it's, it's just the sort of thing that nowadays, no one would even think about trying to put in a family film. It would be the first thing like this would be, be circled by the development executives in the script and be like, we got to get rid of this. Get do, do something else. (laughs) Where do we go from here? Uh, Do we want to talk at all about the, the rock creature or uh... I I mean, I don't want to avoid the rock creature by any means. Um, I mean, I do just, I, I, okay, there there is a scene here though. Well, they've seen these these aliens turn out to be vicious, and there's a million of them. And, mm-hmm. and Sam Rockwell is very upset by all of this. And they have a conference about what to do. They want to flee, but Tim is reminding them, "No, we've got to get the beryllium sphere. We can't go anywhere without it." And he's trying to like hatch a plan. You know, let, let's do you know create a diversion, and we'll and we'll get the beryllium sphere. And at some point, Alan Rickman 
interjects and says, this is ridiculous. You're just, why are we taking orders from him? He's not qualified to be our leader. He just played a leader on a show 30 years ago. And (laughs) it's, uh, and it's another case of the, you know, you're aware of just the inherent absurdity of them being here, but that's a thing that you're kind of not thinking about. Why would they all default to taking orders from this guy who's clearly not qualified? And that's yeah. that's another layer of kind of the the brilliance and comedy of this script that you you don't even think about until Alan Rickman points it out. Yeah, it, it's I I don't I I can't articulate it too well, but it is kind of indicative of the line between satire and direct parody. So, so that, you know, that's good. Gold star for that. Um, but yeah, they, they, they get the sphere, they put it on the ship. Tim falls off the ship as they're, they're trying to, trying to, you know, take off in the shuttle. The, the little child aliens are all clinging to the edges of it, like the last chopper out of Saigon. And they all carry Tim off as the rest, rest of the crew flies up into space. I mean, I I mean, look, you're not wrong, but. I'm not wrong. That imagery came back as well as as well as also more recent imagery where in which an aircraft is leaving a uh, desert country. But uh, it, it, again, dark. But that's you making it dark, not the movie. Uh, well, look, that's me. That's my brain making connections. Listen, Landon, of course, my brain is going to go to dark places. As a child, I went to see a PG movie that had alien cannibalism in it, and I was warped forever. <laughs> Thank, thank oh, you, God. DreamWorks. You had, oh man, such good work there cutting this movie for kids. So, uh, the, the the rest of the crew goes up to the ship. Tim is trapped on the planet. The aliens have surrounded him, and and you see them subtitled saying, what is this thing? Let's hit it with a rock and eat it. And they, they you know, hit him with a rock. Tim wakes up being sniffed at by a alien, a two-legged alien pig monster practical effect that is that rules so hard. (laughs) It's got multiple like scrotums hanging off of it. Children's film. It's like licking him. It's, um, it's wild. It's really cool. It's a really cool effect. Uh, I, I really enjoy, uh, when, so the, the teleporter is configured for human anatomy. And so when Tony Shalhoub does it first, um, it, to bring up the pig creature to test it, uh, it turns it inside out and then it explodes. And, uh, another moment of like justified Tim's chagrin, uh, yes. where he's like, wait, did I hear that it turned inside out? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that he goes and exploded and, you know, everyone's kind of covered with tremors, uh, goop <laughs> so much, um, uh, you know, first, first the just the appearance of this inside-out mass of like ribs and pulsating organs and squirting goo and viscera, and it's like making screeching, squealing noises, and then explodes what looks like chunks of beef brisket all over the crew. <laughs> Children's that movie. was their lunch. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, okay. Whatever craft services, uh, d- you know, it still has at the end of the day. <laughs> um yeah and also the the fun of this scene also that that up on on the deck you know sigourney weaver is talking to tim on the communicator while he's down on the down on the planet and it you know when the scene the scene starts you know they're saying we're going to bring you up with the transporter and he says like oh i'm not i don't want to get chopped up into a million pieces i never want to do that and she goes hold please and then turns it off and they're talking whatever they bring the thing up it explodes and and Tim overhears then the the Thermian with them saying, but it turned inside out. 
and exploded. <laughs> and Tim goes, did it explode? And Sigourney Weaver with brisket hanging off of her face just goes, hold please. And closes the thing again. <laughs> Just the basic comic timing moment to moment of the scene is... Yeah. God. So uh, let's keep going. Uh, We've been spending a lot of time on uh, the planet scene. Um, They get back on the ship. Saris is there. He's captured Mathazar. Yes, yes. Tim has been chased by the... Well, I mean, just... Tim chased by the rock monster, teleported up. The rock monster does not kill him. The rock monster is left on the planet. I guess that's all fine. Maybe I'll just cut myself saying that out. Well, no, I think it's important to to mention because um, of when it comes back in a great callback. Yes, I, let's just say though they they've come, they come out of the minefield. They need to go to the planet. They go to the planet. They're on the planet for ten minutes, fifteen minutes. That's like maybe how much time between them getting on the shuttle and Tim getting teleported back. Yeah. A. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe about that. I, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe I give them like from the time you take off from the ship, land, get out, explore a little bit, you know, truncated movie time, maybe maybe an hour, two hours. Well, no, I mean, in their time. Sure. I'm talking about in the oh. timeline, uh, like just in in, oh, in our of time. the movie in our time yes. on Earth Yeah, in Earth. our time, about 10 minutes. Yeah, it's about 10 minutes on the alien planet. It feels like so much more just in terms of everything they've gone through. Uh, you know, and and where they kind of get to by the end of it, you know, Tim th- Tim has this moment of triumph where he's able to, you know, like the way that he beats the rock monster isn't through any guile or cunning or fighting ability. It's just on his ability to build up uh, Tony Shalhoub and tell him and make him feel confidence in himself. Like that is the triumph. It's Tony Shalhoub learning to fight for something again, and it's Tim learning how to interact with and connect with this person. So it's an emotional beat. All of that happens. Beats the rock monster, eh? Nudge, uh, nudge, wink, wink. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've beaten a few rock monsters in my day. Uh, gross. Couldn't get his rocks off. I don't know. Uh, but, the, the, yeah, this all takes place over the course of 15 minutes. And then, like, so I, I think that in a movie today, or in a lot of movies, it's just like, okay, rest of the movie is just them having adventures on the rock planet. Nope. Nope, 15 minutes on the rock planet, and we're, and we're done with the planet stuff. We're back to flying <laughs> spaceships around. And then, like, you know, they've gotten back. They have this moment of triumph. And just like before, when it's like the gee whiz of the spaceship is immediately thrown into, oh, Ceres is here. You can't leave even though you want to. They are then thrown to, um, okay, we're, we're all back together. All right, and we've got the new beryllium sphere. We solved that problem. Oh, yeah, Ceres. You've forgotten about Ceres in the past 15 minutes because all this other shit was happening and now now he's back he's boarded the ship he's got everyone hostage they're just going from crisis to crisis throughout the movie uh it's true they are and it doesn't let up until the end no it does not yeah so we so yeah they're there the whole scene with we can yeah. Yeah, yeah, fast forward through the Mathazar stuff, which you already talked about. Yes. Um. Wh- okay, let's start synopsizing the next uh, next portion here. What happens post-Mathazar torture? You know, Mathazar has kind of had his heart and mind broken by this, and uh, Saris orders his men to overlord the... Overlord? Orders his men to overload the uh, the engines of, of the protector to make it explode, uh, and he says to throw the whole crew of Galaxy Quest out the airlock, and... Tim and Alan Rickman are together, and uh, Tim kind of comes up with this plan to fake a fight between him and Alan Rickman uh, so that they can then 
uh, get the drop on the aliens, fight them, and subdue them, which is a callback to a scene that they played in one of the episodes of the show, and it affords him an opportunity to mend his relationship with uh, Alan Rickman by engaging in theater and acting with him, the thing that he values the most. Uh, they are able to overpower the aliens, blow them out the airlock, get a hold of one of their guns. Tim takes command. He says that he and Sigourney Weaver are going to go shut down the reactor. He tells Alan Rickman to uh, go to the barracks where Ceres has opened a slow leak and is slowly suffocating the entire Thermian crew. Tells him to try and get the door to the barracks open. Tells Tony Shalhoub and uh, and Sam Rockwell and Tony Shalhoub's... Uh, well, she's not his girlfriend yet, but one of the female Thermians who has sort of taken a liking to Tony Shalhoub and vice versa tells the three of them to go try and shut down the leak on the on the uh, ship and then sends Laredo off to watch old episodes of Galaxy Quest and practice up on his flying. So everybody goes off and the the, you know, the third act of the movie is kind of all of them going about solving these problems. It's. Tim and Sigourney Weaver going to the reactor and et cetera, et cetera. Should I just talk through, so, I mean, just, should you just take us through the rest? Uh, no, I, I think that's a good place to stop because uh, okay. then we can we can do the the, the final act. Um, okay. What I like, it, we talked about in the Mathazar scene, that is Tim coming to terms with uh, the stakes of, if you, if you want to be the captain, this is what you have to deal with. This yes. is what you have to fight for. You have to fight for something larger than yourself. And what I love about this next scene, structurally, character-wise, is, like, he is, he's accepted the challenge. Like, got it. Okay, shit's going down. We got to step up, and this is how we're going to do it. I'm taking charge. Yeah. Alan Rickman, on the Rock Planet, you questioned why Why listen to me. Well, this is why. I'm, I'm the captain. I'm going to be the fucking captain. Yeah. And he, you know, whether or not he's making the right choice or not... He's being decisive, he's being self-assured, and he's giving people orders of confidence. Um, and what I like, even beyond that, is like, okay, Sigourney Weaver and I, we're going to go do the, the you know, the gauntlet challenge. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, when he tells Laredo, learn how to drive, it seems like such a throwaway, like, oh, man, you couldn't give him something better to do. But he goes off on his own, and the, you know, the director, the filmmakers, the editor, really, they give us a moment where we're seeing Laredo revisiting the tapes and, you know, relearning everything that he had figured out when he was originally on the show so that it comes into play in a very important way uh, as this, you know, kind of plan comes together. Yeah. Um, And so I, I just love the, like, this is the moment when all of these pieces that we've been uh, uh, setting up along the way are starting to take shape and come together. Yes, yeah. And it's it's a way that, that I mean, functionally, with having Laredo's whole thing just be, yo, the ship is full of aliens and it's about to explode. You need to go watch TV. And that is a way that they basically just kind of, we get one scene of his character throughout all of this, and it feels almost like they've thrown him away, but then the climax winds up requiring him to fly the ship very well, and he does a great job, which is, uh, I don't know, it is it is a triumphant piece that, like, that pays off his character well. Yes. Um, and so I, I was going to call out as well, you had mentioned the, the moment when, um, right before this, when Tim Allen and Alan Rickman are being escorted, they're about to be shot out the airlock, and the way they get out of it was Tim's like, 
uh, starts arguing with Alan Rickman. He's like, this is just like episode 117. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it kind of sparks something in Alan Rickman's head of like, oh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I, I We're on the same wavelength now. Yes. And I... What's interesting about that is, like, I feel like I've seen that in another movie. I can't quite tell you where, but it, I don't know, it's just, it's fun. Yes. It's like, we as the audience are in on what's going on uh, with these characters, and we get to see them, like, figure out how to work together. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed that that scene, because they, you know, the idea being they start fighting uh, amongst themselves to create a distraction uh, in order for him to you know take out the the guard basically that's watching them uh yeah you see that that this is a moment where alan rickman gains respect for tim's character yeah this is this is a moment where where it's like oh that's clever that's creative and also like we're we're engaging in an act together we're playing a scene together where you're not trying to steal it from me you you mentioned that and i hadn't pieced that together but you're right that's an interesting way to kind of bond them together and and get Alan Rickman to show his respect or, you know, uh, have Tim earn Alan Rickman's respect, uh, in this. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give you an opportunity to showcase the thing that you like most about yourself, which is your acting ability. I'm going to, I'm going to share the stage with you as it were for this audience of aliens who want to kill us. Um, So as everyone goes off on their missions, you know, Tim and Sigourney Weaver are going in in, uh, in search of the, uh, did I call her Sigourney Weiner? Because if so. You didn't. Well, <laughs> now, well, now I did. And that's, uh, that <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what the, is that a, is that a drag queen name? Is that a drag king name? Who can say? Sigourney <laughs> uh, Weaver. I'm going to say not you. Sigourney Weaver and Tim are going in in search of the uh, the the reactor to keep it from exploding, and you know they don't know how to do this, but Tim knows someone who does know how to do it. And early on in the movie, he accidentally traded uh, uh, his radio with uh, Justin Long, the nerd from the sci fi thing. A, yeah, we didn't talk about that scene. He bumps into him in an underground garage, and they accidentally. Uh, trade uh uh transporters yeah they're, they're they're called voxes in the in the, the box. movie okay. but um and you know which is great because in that scene way back in the first act when it happens all it serves to be is that when when tim goes up to uh the rest of the cast and is trying to convince them hey space is real the ship is real look i can prove it and he pulls out his communicator and tries to call them or he pulls out his vox and tries to call them and it's just a cheap shitty prop that justin long had <laughs> and all yeah. the other actors think he's nuts and you think Oh, okay, that's just a comedy bit for that one scene. You forget about it completely for an hour until it comes yeah. back, and we cut to Justin Long's house back in L.A., which is also kind of jarring after having been on an alien planet and deep space for so long <laughs> to see, like, a house in, like, Sherman Oaks. <laughs> yeah. Um, where he calls him and and tells him, you know, hey, this is uh, Jason Nesmith. I was kind of short with you earlier. Uh, I, I need your help. The whole show is real. Um, I, I, Justin Long's performance in this is really good. It's really fun. There's some, he talks some in the, in the, uh, documentary about how, you know, there's a scene where Tim is talking to him on the radio and says, Oh, what's your name? And Justin Long just goes, Brandon. And he's like, there wasn't a question mark in the script, but that he, I, I don't know. He, uh, it, it, it's, it's somehow not. It's not just the nerd stereotype. It is. It is this earnest kid who happens to be a huge nerd. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
there, God, I, I should have wrote this down. There's something that popped in my mind about the conversation we were having about fans versus, uh, oh, I know what it was. Um, so just to kind of skip ahead a little bit here, the Justin Long and his, his you know, um, Galaxy Quest cronies uh, step in to save the day uh, by, because they know the, the ship uh, innards better than anyone. And yeah. they're kind of guiding them through the gauntlet and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, what occurred to me based on the the argument you were posing last week that I didn't engage with <laughs> <laughs> you had time uh, I feel to like think if, about it if the galaxy quest tv show which was in development until alan rickman passed away hmm. if that had gone through um i feel like this aspect of the story would take on a completely new light which would be the downfall of the series mm-hmm. which would be uh, more along the lines of what you were arguing, the fan base would... I, I feel like the commentary would be the the fan base, the toxic fan base around any given property is the lifeblood of that property. Yeah. And we have to listen to the fans in order to make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't do that, but I, I could see a modern version of it going, well, we got to include the fans. What are fans like today? Let's glorify that and make that the hero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it would be, so you, you mean the, the way that the, uh, a, a contemporary series of this, like the one that they wanted to, it would, by, by making these people out to be heroes in this day and age, it just wouldn't, wouldn't work the same way. Yeah, I, I think so. Because, you know, you have to be kind of realistic to a degree of like, well, fans are such a specific thing and such a huge part of these sorts of shows now that we have to depict them in a way that feels realistic <laughs> to yeah. the people that are watching this. Cause they are the fans. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to do that, the only way to do that is, you know, to show that they have a voice and their voice is the thing that guides the content. Yeah. And I, I feel like that would have just ruined uh, it, it, glorifying that would have ruined the show. Y- yes, because uh, because trying to make the point that the fan base driving what the content of the show is, like tr- trying to present that as a good thing, which inevitably they would, it would be bad because that's not a good thing when yeah <laughs> when the the entire thing is captive to the whims of a very passionate fan base. Yeah, um, so I guess I, I just all goes to say, like I'm glad, as you said last week. This is all we got. It's yes. just this movie. There's no TV show. There's no anything else. And f- because of that, you know, this, this whole fan thing here with Justin Long really works for me. Yes. I think it's very sweet. Yes. I think it's very empowering. Uh, but it it's not it's not going in the wrong direction. I, I think that, I, yeah, there, there, are, there are so many reasons to be thankful that nothing else was made. Because I, I think that also, just to skip ahead slightly, because again, all of you have probably seen this, the end of the movie, the protector crashes into the LA Convention Center, like it blasts through a wall in an incredible, incredible effect that looks so good to this day, and all of the cast stagger out of it, like, and and Tony Shalhoub is, is you know, he's got an alien girlfriend with him, but... Like, this all happens, and then we just go from them at the fan convention to a promo for Galaxy Quest, the legend continues, you know, the Galaxy Quest universe's version of Star Trek Next Generation, and that's it, and that's the end of the movie. 
any sequel would have to try and reckon with like, wait, so now everyone on Earth knows that aliens are real? How? Do, <laughs> what does that look like? What does that go? And it would, right. and it, it falls into the same trap as another franchise I talked about last week, Ghostbusters. Like, mm. they should have made one Ghostbusters movie and said, that movie ruled, let's stop. Because every subsequent Ghostbusters movie has to kind of do this ridiculous dance of like, oh yeah, these guys discovered that the afterlife exists and dead people walk amongst us. But then in every subsequent movie, the the conceit at the start of the film is like, oh yeah, we learned all that stuff about that completely redefines our understanding of the human experience. And everyone just got <laughs> bored and forgot it like two years later. Like, <laughs> like that, that is literally the plot of the new Ghostbusters movie they're making is like, oh yeah, all that shit happened in the 80s. And then, eh, I don't know. Whatever, yeah, ghosts are real. <laughs> like, so yeah, there, there's no good way to do it. And that is what Galaxy Quest would have had to deal with. It either would have been a yeah. lot of dumb shoe leather uh, trying to explain why, like, trying to explain why these people went on an adventure in outer space, saw things no other human has seen, then came back to Earth and just got a new TV show <laughs> and went back to being <laughs> actors. Uh, and, and that wouldn't be good. Like, th this is... This is all we need. This is just enough. I I I tend to I'm not a vegan, but I do stay away from leather shoes. Yes, I that's I I mean, they're not super comfortable, honestly. That's my that's my biggest issue. <laughs> um um okay. I, so, let's go back to uh Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver um going through the innards of the ship to get to the omega 13 is that what they're trying to do they, they, well they're trying they're trying to get to the reactor to shut it down and that along oh, the way right. they yes. pass the omega 13 i also just want to say about justin long though that when he first oh, yeah. when tim first calls him justin long is reflecting on their conversation at the start of the movie where tim told him it's not it's not real there's no ship there's no omega 13 whatever and what you know tim is trying to like ask justin long for help and justin long is saying like hey you know i'm i've been thinking about what we said earlier i'm not a total freak like i know it's not real i know it's just a show and then tim says no it's all real and justin long immediately goes i knew it i knew it <laughs> yeah Which there's is, no like there's no moment of him going wait what yeah and, and like reckoning with it it's just an immediate yes i knew it uh yeah that was a great choice it, it's a just great cut to, cut to the joke it's it's a great choice, and also what I realized on this viewing, it's the inverse of the scene he just had with Mathazar. Mathazar believes everything is true, and Tim has had to very very emotionally oh, yeah. tell him that it's fake. And then Tim calls this other guy who wow. is in many ways like Mathazar, who lives his whole life by the show, who is trying to tell him like it's okay, Tim. I know the show's not real, and then Tim gets to tell him it's real. Like it's it's the opposite experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's echoes and mirrors, man. That's what to me I love about a good script. Yes, uh, and I, I have one coming up too. That um, uh, it's so subtle that I didn't even pick up on it until my like third watch for this uh, podcast that we're doing. Perfect, perfect. I, I love I love how many more Galaxy Quest watches we have gotten in our lives because of this episode. <laughs> um, Justin Long is directing them. They go through some ducts, and then, of course, they come up on famously the ducts chompers with a T, ducts. not ducks with a K. I mean, it it would make as about as much as much sense for there to be a whole flock of ducks in the middle of a spaceship <laughs> as it does for there to be a bunch of chompers, which is just a a hallway of smashing pillars going up and down and side to side that have a specific sequence that the Thermians put in the ship because it's in one episode. 
Sigourney oh, Weaver is furious. That. Well, fuck this. There's no reason for it. It shouldn't be here. Why would they <laughs> I, do this? I I love it. In a parody, you you wouldn't get a moment like that from Sigourney Weaver. It would just be... It's like the filmmaker and the audience have a shorthand with each other that the characters don't know. Yes. Uh, in a parody. And what I love is that the characters are smart enough in this movie to recognize when something doesn't make sense. Yes. Yes. They, and you know, they're getting talked through the rhythm of like, you know, now and now and now by the, you know, the, the kids watching at home, the, on the old episodes that this is based on, but right. They get to the end of the chompers and then there's just flame jets out of nowhere that they have to jump over. <laughs> and the movie doesn't even point too many arrows at it. It's just like, Oh, and there's also fire, which is so yeah. good. Uh, and so, like, you, you've touched on it a number of times now, but I, I want to point out, because it, it plays into this next uh, kind of real hard laugh I got. They get through all of this, and they get to the point where um, they need to shut down the reactor. That's, mm-hmm. you know, self-destruct, time, you know, it's counting down. And they get to the center of this thing, and uh, he's like, oh, okay, he's talking to Justin Long. Okay, what next? And Justin Long's like, push the blue button. And Tim's like, Oh, that's it? I just I thought it would be more complicated than that. And he pushes the red button at 23 seconds, and it just keeps going. He's like, uh, this isn't working. This isn't working. <laughs> and then it stops at one second because that's what it does all the time in the TV show. And we're, we're stuck in those 23 seconds of it counting down, just going, what what is going to happen here? It's such a long way to a joke that is so simple that, uh, I don't know, I it just... You you forgot that everything in this ship is made to the specifications of the TV show. Yes. That in this moment of peril, it's like one last callback to that. Um, it works so well. Even, even though to get to this scene, they've had to go through the chompers. You've already once again forgotten and expect this spaceship to operate on normal logic instead of 80s TV show logic. Yeah. Also great is that, you know, they, they push the button. Why is it, why, you know, why is it still counting down? What do we do? Jason, Jason, are you there? Or Brandon, whatever the fuck his name is. They're calling, they're calling him on the, on the recorder. The music is intense. Like all this shit's going wrong. Like, where is he? Where is he? And then we just cut back to Brandon at home, having to run out to the curb and, and take out the trash because his mom had told him to do this 10 minutes earlier (laughs) in, in, in the first scene of this, which is such a powerful, like, uh, the 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 timer stopping at one is such a great bit, and that it is immediately preceded at this moment of like high tension, high climax of the movie. It is preceded by this other great bit of just the hard cut to from a spaceship about to explode to a kid running out to a couple of recycling bins with a bag of trash and like complaining to his mom. <laughs> this is such an important moment. Why are you doing this now? so good well and to me that moment is uh evidence of dean pariso's comedic chops as a director because i feel like in the hands of another director that might not be as adept at comedy you'd get the shot of you know uh brandon's mom coming in the room saying brandon i told you to take out the trash i'm in the middle of something i gotta do it now no we we cut all of that crap she's already asking to do it it's another kind of mini callback we just cut to a wide shot of the house with the garbage can in the foreground and brandon running out of the door carrying the garbage bag screaming at his mom as he you know runs into the foreground uh it's just all shot in one take it's it's just a really really 
the best way to do that joke. That the, the first time we see Brandon again since the first act of the movie, it's his mom leaning into his room saying, when are you going to take out the trash? And he says, I'll do it in 10 minutes, mom, please. And it's just like you, you forget that you've seen that. It's mundane. It's a moment in a movie about spaceships right. and aliens. You forget that that's even a factor. And then the second we see him doing it, you remember. And it's like, oh, this is the most crucial thing now. All of, a, a kid taking out the garbage as fast as possible is integral to the end of this movie, this space adventure. I, I also, because we're, I think we're about to, to move on from this, but when when Justin Long is calling on, calling on his friends to help out, you know, they're, they're all popping up on video chats on his computer, which we talked about last week, how insane that is in 1999. But his... Yeah. His first friend, uh, Kyle, pops up and goes, oh, hey, Brandon. And his response is, no fi- no time for pleasantries, Kyle. <laughs> Which is, again, one I'm of the- I'm going to answer the phone every time you call me with that line now. Exactly. I, 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 that, that lives in, in my head. <laughs> him, him spending more time telling his friend not to bother saying hi to him than it takes his friend to say hi to him. So good. So, so good. So- they uh, so I mean, do we want to talk about Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, and uh, and and Leelani, the, uh, the oh yeah yeah alien lady? yeah their their little adventure yeah let's do that they they have got their mission because is... this is where Sam Rockwell really comes into his character oh man he he starts rocking um, he rocks but, well yeah it's true I I thought it was a rock but it was a Sam Rockwell uh, <laughs> they need to turn off the you know the, the the airlock has been opened in the barracks and it's suffocating all of the Thermians. The button to close the airlock is in a room full of Saris's men. It's a huge number of these goons who are like playing cards or whatever. And they're, they're looking, you know, peering through a window at them, trying to figure out how are we going to do this? As they're just running up to where this spot is, you know, Sam Rockwell has, has this gun that, that Tim had stolen off one of the aliens and given to him. And as the, just the three of them are running down the hall, Sam Rockwell is doing these elaborate spin moves with the gun, like dramatically <laughs> aiming it behind him and then whipping yeah. around and aiming it in the same direction again, which, uh, uh, you know, Sam Rockwell, who who hopefully you know is an amazing dancer, I, I, I feel like that's a little bit of a, a dancer's instinct for the for comedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but they get there. They're peering through. Tony Shalhoub is saying, like, oh, we got to get through, but we, we can't with all of them in there. And and Sam Rockwell is volunteering to take them all out, you know, cause a distraction, get them to run away. You know, it, he'll die, but he'll die in service of something better. He's saying, like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, the, you know, I'm crewman number six. That's but that's me. You know, if I'm going to die. At least I should I should die for something. And then yeah. Tony Shalhoub says, oh, wait, but what if you're actually the plucky comic relief guy? And that <laughs> completely changes his perception of himself. <laughs> so what what's kind of fascinating here is this isn't even text or subtext of the movie. I don't know how you would classify it, but there's something that happens with all of the characters where there's almost like a god of fiction Mm-hmm. Uh, a god of narrative yes. where as soon as a character acknowledges and accepts the fate they've been given mm-hmm. uh, and or acknowledges the reality of what they believe their life purpose is, mm-hmm. they are then absolved and given a new purpose in life. Wow. It happens with Tim yeah. in the Mathazar yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah. He comes to, you know, his come to Jesus moment 
And from that, he's given new purpose True. and is able to fulfill a, a whole new trajectory for his character. Sam Rockwell here, he's like, you're right. This is just who I am. This is my purpose. I'm going to I'm gonna sacrifice myself. That's what I'm meant to do. Mm-hmm. And it's only when he is, you believe that he would go through with it that he is saved. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. I mean, and I guess same with, with Tony Shalhoub. It's only when he, when he, you know, accepts that I can do this. I know how to operate the transporter. That's kind of like, he's the first one to sort of come around and, and he takes a leap of faith there. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, I had, uh, you know, I did the first time I did it. Yeah. I, I have <laughs> thing turned inside out and exploded and he has to take a leap of faith that it's not going to happen again when he does it to Tim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when that happens, then, that's when, uh, you know, he has that moment of celebration and the, who is it? I can't pronounce her, her name. Uh, her, her name is Lilari, uh, uh, played by Missy Lilari. Pyle. She's the female Thermian who, uh, who yeah. he has a crush on. But once he succeeds in that, there's a certain, like, confidence and new truth that comes out. And that's when she, you know, kind of turns her eyes on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that, then his new, you know, kind of character arc of uh, fulfilling a you know, his, his role in the crew comes to life. Yeah. What, what I'm trying to think, does, does Sigourney Weaver have a moment like that? What's the thing that she gives? I mean, cause she is on board with just repeating the computer pretty early on in the movie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that she does. Uh, cause what, what happens here with her? I'm, I'm not even like she goes with Tim, uh, <laughs> I mean, she she has all these great moments that are mainly just her doing commentary on the stuff that's happening and how ridiculous yeah. it is. In that regard, she's the one she rages against the premise or and rages against her role in all of this the hardest. And well, she is the one providing commentary, and that's what she did on the original show. This is true. Oh, and also, I mean, her like. Everyone else accepting their role and playing their role, it's like, well, okay, like the ship needs a captain, the ship needs a chief engineer, the ship needs, you know, a, a crewman number six or whatever, you know, plucky comic relief. But, the, you know, the, the whole joke of her character is that her job isn't necessary. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Yeah. I, so I, I guess it's I guess it's fair that like, you know, she she's always been critical of the part that she's supposed to play. And in this case, she doesn't have to, you know, do it. Yeah, I don't know. So I guess maybe my my theory doesn't hold true for all of them, or at least it hasn't revealed itself for Sigourney Weaver's uh, character. Yet. Maybe it hasn't. I, I don't know. I still think your I think your theory holds a lot of water. It might just be that you know. It might just be that it doesn't hold up for everyone, and that might be maybe maybe it's, the movie's not as perfect as we thought. Who knows? Maybe there maybe oh, there's an uh-oh. issue. <laughs> um, but so Tony Shalhoub has the idea to rather than having um he he. In in the middle of convincing Sam Rockwell that he's the plucky comic relief, he just kind of stops and goes, <laughs> I just had a really interesting idea. And they go to the transporter, they teleport the rock monster up onto the ship and into the room with all of uh, Saris's dudes. And the rock monster chases them out of the room into an airlock, and then all of these soldiers and the rock monster get blasted out into space. Um, there's a shot of this rock monster getting shot out of the the spaceship and then just kind of drifting through space, gazing at everything while this angelic music plays in the background lives rent free in my head. I just, that, that (laughs) image I just kind of keep thinking of. I don't know why. 
I expected it to to flick off the camera. Yeah, that would have been. <laughs> listen, if they made the, this movie today, if this movie was R rated, it it totally would have. He would have had a baseball well, cap a, on. In a Leprechaun Four callback. No, oh, oh, I see. Yes, well, because we do get the bit of um, we do get the 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 bit where uh, Saris is on his ship. He's gone back to his ship before all the escaping happens, and then he's like, "Well, what's going on? Why have they escaped?" And then just a bunch of his dead soldiers smash into the the windscreen of the ship and then kind of slip away and that that does feel like a a leprechaun chunks bit (laughs) um so sam rockwell fulfills his thing yeah anything else to talk about that well then it's just after he's successfully done it you know sam rockwell and lailari and tony shalhoub are uh are, are celebrating i think also when they're watching all this happen on 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 the the cctv cameras or whatever they're all watching this rock monster terrorizing saris's men and tony shalhoub just goes it's the little things in life you treasure <laughs> rent free but then he and lailari start making out and tentacles start coming up from behind her her true octopus oh, God. form no no and and tony shalhoub's eyes roll back in his head and they collapse to the floor sam rockwell is watching and he goes oh oh that's not right um <laughs> i know do, do just very quickly we don't have to talk too long about this is that problematic mm-hmm. that sam rockwell is being judgmental of uh, a form nope. of passion that he that he doesn't understand you know maybe keep him more up in uh. mind yeah. Uh, well, uh, he's caught up in the moment. I, I forgive him. I, I guess he's that, got a lot going you know, on. In the light of day, he would be like, "Oh, good for you too." I, I, you know, you can you can support something and not want to see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm. Just, I would just say that if Sam Rockwell uh, finds the concept of a human copulating with something with tentacles really disgusting and foreign, he should check out some Japanese art from the 1850s. Um. So, anyway. Uh, yes. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman uh, has, is at the same time he's been going to try and uh, to try and open up the uh, the hatch into the barracks where all the Thermians are dying. Along the way, he runs into Quellic, who has been uh, who has been hiding out from the uh, the the uh, Saris's men. And together, using the Mokhtar chant of strength, they pry the door open a little to let some to let some air in, and then eventually they're able to get the door open at the same time as Tony Shalhoub and everybody has. Uh, closed the airlock and um you know this is this moment that he and quellick are kind of they, they work together and he is repairing his relationship with quellick who he was so mean to earlier but then as you know they they go in they have this triumphant moment with all the thermians uh alan rickman is kind of luxuriating in their applause and then all of them go the captain has saved us hooray for captain taggart and he's just <laughs> you, you know can't can't have this one thing but then as yeah. Quellick is leaving, he is he is unexpectedly shot by one of uh, Saris's men, and they, you know, drag him back inside. Saris's guy is outside trying to get his gun to unjam, and uh, Quellick is dying. Alan Rickman is there with him, and and to comfort him as he passes away, he does the, the line, by Grabthar's hammer, you shall be avenged, and does it with true passion and meaning. And uh, again, a, a really heartfelt meaningful scene in the middle of all of this comedy that uh that yeah. carries such great resonance that is i think that you know to to your to your point about the fiction gods that's probably the moment that he embraces the yeah. role that he is there to play and and embodies that role it's the thing that he resists the most uh from the beginning of the movie is just like i i you know i cannot speak that line one more time once he accepts it 
and uh, you know finds the truth in it, then he is set free and is allowed to move on and fulfill a new purpose. And, and you know, also this is a guy who was this fancy English theater actor who always thought that Galaxy Quest ruined his career. It's not real work, but I feel like in this moment he's recognizing that the work that he did on Galaxy Quest made people feel something. It meant something to lots of people, and that it had value. The show had value. The stuff that he did, like he in this moment is getting an object lesson in why it matters that he did what he did and why he doesn't need to be ashamed of being on the show. Well, I, I maybe in an, another way of, of phrasing this is that like they find out that the, the spaceship is real. The aliens are real. And therefore each of them have a moment when the characters they've been playing become real. Yes. And uh, maybe maybe that's a little more superficial way of looking at it, but like Tim becomes the captain only in you know the moment following Mathazar or in the moment of Mathazar. Yeah, Alan Rickman. 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 That's uh, that's an even new one. That's even that's even more weird than Alec Rickman from last week. <laughs> Alan Rickman. Yeah, Alec Rickman uh, bec- <laughs> becomes uh, his character in that moment. Um, yeah, is there still a, a moment of Sigourney Weaver? I don't know, but I want I want to get to the kind of uh the moment of omega 13 uh is it omega 13 it's the it's the omega 13 yes the omega 13 yeah sorry i I, we've been going for so long that i my brain is uh blanked on the details it's been over a month i want to get to uh when that comes into play because i have a note about sam rockwell that is uh so flies so far under the radar um and it's just a moment of brilliance, but well, can you get us there? Yeah, yes, I can get us there. But, you know, okay. everyone has completed their little task. Alan, Alan, Alec Rickenman has comforted Quellick as he dies and then is so filled with rage by the fact that this, that this uh, Thermian has been killed that he picks up, you know, this crowbar they used to open the door, marches out into the hall where Saris's dude is still trying to get his gun unjammed and just charges at him screaming and then basically leads all of the Thermians in rebelling against the remaining troops on the ship. Like, the, these Thermian nerd aliens who don't know how to fight, it's sort of implied by the movie because, like, the next time we see Alan Rickman, he's... You know, he's in full combat. He's, like, covered in, like, his uniform's torn up. His his prosthetic reptile head thing is torn in places and his hair is sticking out. He's, like... Which, uh, worth mentioning, Alan Rickman, even on the Earth uh, scenes, never appears without his headpiece in this it, entire movie. Even, even in the shots of him in his apartment in L.A., he's still yeah. wearing the headpiece. While, whilst talking to Sigourney Weaver on the phone, who's wearing, like, a bathrobe and has taken off her clothes for the day. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, he, but he is, he is leading all of, you know, but the next time we see him, he is all, all torn up. He is like running around. He's charging at, at, uh, Saris's men, like karate chopping at the air, getting ready to like start <laughs> killing them. All of the Thermians around him are kicking the shit out of these aliens. It's implied that through the sheer force of anger and rage, he has taught the entire Thermian race how to kick asses. <laughs> um, but we, we see what avenging looks like. It, it's it. Yeah, true. This is, this is the power of that line. Um, but, you know, Tim and Sigourney find him, everyone kind of, you know, they take him, they all reunite on the bridge, they let the Thermians, uh, continue, uh, cleaning up the rest of Ceres' dudes. They get up on the bridge, uh, uh, Mathazar is there, you know, he's on crutches, but, but he's okay, he's recovering. But they, they go up to the bridge, they call up, uh, Ceres' ship, 
uh, which is now chasing them. And uh, they, they, well, like they fly into the minefield once more. And, but this time, this because is where Laredo's uh, uh, driving skills that he's been brushing up on come into play. Yes, exactly. Because now he's expertly avoiding all the mines, but because they're magnetic, they're still following the ship. Uh, Saris and his his crew stop at the edge of the minefield looking for them. But then the the protector turns around and starts flying headlong back at Saris. And there's this moment of Tim and Saris on the view screen having their their third uh, and what turns out to be spoiler alert final conversation, uh, uh-huh. where yeah, they're they're you know flying headlong towards each other. Saris is shooting at them. They're directing all the power to the shields, but they're starting to run out of power. Saris is telling him like, "You're just an actor. You're not gonna you know y- you can't." You can't fight me. You can't beat me. I'm this master admiral. And Tim responds, it doesn't take a good actor to know a bad one. You're sweating and my ship is dragging mines. And then sure enough, we see that all of these mines are hurtling after the protector following it. They fly right over Ceres' ship, drag all of the mines into it, and it completely explodes, <laughs> which is brilliant. It's such a good, it's it like... Nothing about this movie was half-assed. The concept of how the good guys win in the end is something that would totally work in a Star Trek movie or a Star yeah. Wars movie. The magnetic minds concept never gets old. Yeah, so at the last second, uh, apparently something, as their ship is blowing up, uh, something uh, blips from it. Uh, there, there's a little energy source that comes mm-hmm. from the ship before it explodes. Yeah, yeah, a little energy surge. And... Tim and the whole, you know, the, the, they're, they're flying back to Earth now. They're going through the black hole. They're going to they're gonna head back. And, um, but then uh, Tony Shalhoub comes up on, on deck and walks in. And Tim's like, well, what are you doing up here? You need to be out in the, in the engine room. And Tony Shalhoub shoots him and then starts shooting everyone else. Turns out, oh, shit, it's actually Saris. He teleported off the ship onto their ship. He's been in disguise with some kind of, you know, alien... I don't know, whatever. It's well, it's what technology. the Thermians use. Yeah, yeah, the same kind of thing that makes the Thermians not look like octopuses. But yeah, so he starts just back, basically mowing the whole crew down. It's this horrible moment. Everyone, like, it's slow motion. Everybody's dying. Tim is on the ground looking at Sigourney Weaver as she dies. And a little earlier... Alan Rickman, it kind of explodes. Yeah. Yeah. And and a little earlier, you know, they've talked to Justin Long about what is this Omega-13 thing, and, and Justin Long says that many of the fans theorize that it's this device of great power that uh, can affect a 13-second time jump into the past. And so as they're all dying, Tim calls out to activate the Omega-13, which, by the way, are the last lines of the original Galaxy Quest series that we see at the very beginning of the movie. Perfect. It all it just, just mirrors and, and, and everything. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so they, they hit the button for the Omega-13, and all of these big blue, like, alien, uh, big blue alien balls doesn't sound good. In, in fact, it makes <laughs> it makes what is a very beautiful and kind of inspired special effect sound like something nasty. But they fly up into the room, they kind of reset, and everyone goes back to how it was, and only Tim knows what's coming. And uh, mm-hmm. then Tim, when Tony Shalhoub comes up on onto the bridge... Uh, immediately punches him and knocks him to the ground, and uh, and and that allows them to get the drop on him. And even though the rest of the crew restrain him, are like, "What are you doing?" When Tony Shalhoub turns into Saris and gets up to start trying to shoot them again, uh, that's when Mathazar is there with his crutches to beat the crap out of him and go, "Never give up, never surrender." Oh my god, it's great. Um, okay, I, I, yeah, let's pause right there because yes. there's there's a conclusion as well. But yeah. Um, 
first of all, okay, let me let me give my Sam Rockwell thing. Yes. Uh, before talking about this Never Surrender part. Yeah. Um, the whole movie, Sam Rockwell is paranoid. I'm going to be the one that dies. Yeah. I, I'm going to be killed. I don't know where it's going to come from, but it's coming. In the scene where everyone dies, mm-hmm. the only person who doesn't is Sam Rockwell. Fucking brilliant. I did not realize that. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> he's the only one who's like, he's got his arms up by his head and he's screaming and watching everyone die, but he doesn't die. The only thing worse than death is watching all of your friends die and being left. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so I, you know, like there, there's a, uh, the series that I would have liked to have seen um, you know, the the one that doesn't give the fans, you know, their their due, I guess, uh, is like having this crew actually this crew of actors actually experience space adventures and having it be like, you know, if you if you go through, you know, the Star Trek Academy and, you know, Starfleet and you you go up the ranks, you kind of are being, you know, tested for being a part of the Enterprise crew. And sure. you're going to kind of have a sense of okay there's a procedure when i go to an alien planet and this is what it is even though we don't know what we're going to be going to expect we've got some precautions in mind you know yeah um i would love totally ill prepared ill equipped actors to be experiencing these existential moments that you know you have episodes of uh Deep Space Nine or The Next Generation where there are these time jumps and alternate dimensions and you're meeting your doppelganger and watching Sam Rockwell have to grapple with those (laughs) sorts of scenarios as an actor rather than someone who's gone through Starfleet. (laughs) That would be funny to me. Just just watching a panicky guy who most likely, you know, still has roommates and isn't even in SAG at this point, uh, is trying to <laughs> right. try, trying to just get his head around the vast mysteries of the universe as explored week by week on Star Trek. Yes, yeah, that is comedy gold. Uh, so that's what I would have liked to seen. Though I'm glad we're not seeing any of it, because then I can make those adventures up in my head. Exactly, exactly. The things left to the imagination are uh, always so much better. Um, so I, I, with with that, I, I want to also I want to transition to this end part with a uh, Mathazar's you know kind of moment of yes. glory here. It is. I could probably count, though I couldn't name them all. I could probably count on one or two hands the amount of movies that have caused a physical reaction in me of wanting to stand up and pump my fist in the air, cheering at the end of it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so hard to get me to that place. Yeah. That it's, it, that's why it's hard. I can, the only other film I can think of off the top of my head is Cinderella man. And I'm, I, that was, I've only seen <laughs> it the once it was in the theater, but it worked on me so well that I wanted to just, you know, rise up and cheer with the rest of the audience. Um, at the end of that movie. Yeah, yeah. When the carriage turns back into a pumpkin, you're just like, fuck yes! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've not seen Cinderella Man starring Russell Crowe. Um, uh, so, uh, there, there, and I couldn't even tell you what the alchemy is that makes that that work. Um, but this movie has it. And mm-hmm. in this moment when Mathazar stands up for himself and says, never give up, never surrender, he's becoming... Like, it's almost as if the crew becomes the actual crew. Yes. And 
in doing so creates this feedback loop of like the Thermians base their lives on this TV show. The TV show comes to the aliens. The TV show becomes real. And in becoming real, the Thermians self-actualize. <laughs> yes, yes. I I would say that... I. I, yes, this is the moment that, like, because for so long, the Thermians took, what they took from Galaxy Quest was, we need to make our society like this show, and then we need to get the people from the show to lead us. This is the moment when, when Mathazar and, by extension, the Thermians realize, we can take things from this show and learn things from this show, and we can incorporate them into how we live like we can be better we don't need other people to lead us we can learn from this show and be our best selves through the show does that make sense yeah Yeah, it does and but it you know there's a little bit of guiding hand to that as well because you know there's a moment when tim says okay we're gonna head back home and mathasar is like oh we thought you would stay with us uh, you know, stay on as our commander and tim's like well i think they've got a pretty damn good commander and kind of like uh, you know, bows. You know, what's the, what's the term? Um, uh, what? find the knee. What what's the Game of Thrones thing? What take the knee? I don't take a knee. Take the or, knee. Yeah. yeah, bend the he knee. Takes, bend bend the knee. He bends the knee to uh to Mathazar as the the captain of the ship, and it's just it's just such a beautiful moment. And what I also what I really like, you know, because they they you know we have to go back to earth the ship has to has to split off so the thermians all go to the auxiliary bridge and this like tiny portion of the main bridge of the ship breaks off to go back to earth which is a cool concept but i i i respect so much that this movie doesn't take the position of these people all had crappy lives on earth so they decide to, so they go in space and they decide you know what we're going to stay in space <laughs> right. and we're going to have space adventures forever no they all like all these people have Oh, you know, they, they have this experience. It's an adventure the likes of which they never could have predicted. They learn a lot about themselves. And when it's over, they all really want to go back to L.A. They just want to go back to being actors. They <laughs> well, do not like being in space. They've learned a lot and it's been a good experience in the end, but they don't want to keep doing it. In, in terms of earning one another's respect and, and reformulating the bonds that brought them together in the first place, I love that they go back because there's one left that they haven't done yet. And that's with the fans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like Tim at the beginning is, you know, all about, you know, standing in front of the fans as the captain, but there's a, a hollow egotism to it. And, you know, all the rest of the crew are just like a, going through the motions. Oh, God, we got to do this shit again. What do we have? A, a You know, a, a mall opening next week. OK, great. Uh, when they when the ship crash lands at the. uh the convention and they all get out, they're getting out not as the actors, but as the actual crew of the NTE. Yes. Yes. The, the protector, uh, the protector. The, yeah. Yeah. They, and, and I, I said this already, but God, when, when the ship crashes into the, uh, <laughs> the, the convention center, it's just like, I cannot stress how good this looks, and I don't even fully know yes. how, because it's like it plows into the stage and individual, like, planks of the stage are ripping up and flying all over the place. I mean, it's got to be some model. It's, it's a little bit of Bad Boys too, where it's like, people definitely died. 
in that crash. Yeah. What well, apparently in the original script, like fans at the convention are getting beheaded as the ship crashes. And boy, oh my god. I hate to give I hate to give anyone I, I, I'm so warped by my experiences in the industry that I think that anybody who tells a screenwriter to change anything in his script should go kick rocks. So it pains me to admit that that is probably one executive note that actually makes sense is maybe don't have the heroes triumphantly behead a bunch of their fans by accident at the end of the movie. Well, I let's let's use that to transition, uh, you know, toward the end of this episode, which is I think. They make mention of this in the documentary, but, you know, the documentary is also trying to just as interesting as the documentary is. It is also, you know, its product, it's selling is the legacy of Galaxy Quest. Sure. But there's a point to be made of I've used the word alchemy a couple times here, and it's more just than just the director and the actors. But the editing of this is so good. They're, They're like. The the studio notes, the decision to make it from whether it was R or PG-13 down to PG, the the skilled editor that they had to implement those changes. Yes. The, the dynamic of the ensemble and the direction of getting the best performances out of those characters and the best way to tell the jokes. Uh, there is just I, – I said it in the last episode. This is one of those rare – just upper tier miracles yes. uh, of of a movie. I I also to quickly you you mentioned the film editor uh, uh, or the editor of the film. Uh, Don Zimmerman is his name. He's an Academy Award nominee for the movie Coming Home. He also edited Being There. Uh, in yep. addition to a number of other movies, but just th- this guy, Great, wonderful. I mean, if you ever go back and watch those, Hal Ashby is someone who needs a lot of editing to make his movies <laughs> as uh, emotionally impactful as they are. Uh, great director, but just someone who you know I think needs a little structure because uh, he was smoking hi- smoking high all the time. Ooh, smoking high, smoking aces. A movie that wait, did he also direct Smoking Aces? No, he did not. Hal um, Ashby, no, <laughs> no, I, I, no. I mean, I, I didn't mean did Hal Ashby. I guess I meant did Don Zimmerman edit Smoke and Aces because he did oh. edit Marmaduke, Red Two, and uh, uh, the Cat in the Hat. But no, not that. <laughs> oh God, he he knows how to take a job. <laughs> he, he he knows how to get paid. Well, also, what sucks? His first job as lead editor was Coming Home, and he got the Academy nominee for uh, Academy Award nomination for that. Just incredible. First right out the gate. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, again, but yes, the magic alchemy of every single aspect working, every single thing coming together. It's, it's something everything. Rare. That's the thing is like, it's, it's the visual effects. It's the, the character design. It's the conception. It's the premise. It's the writing. It's there. There are so many ways in which this film could have not worked and, and it works in every regard. And, and there are so many ways in which most movies do not work. Like, look, we've we've watched a lot of movies for this podcast. We have talked a lot of shit about these movies. And a movie like, uh, I don't want to credit Crazy on the Outside, but let me think of any other. A movie like <laughs> The Shaggy Dog, like, the costume yep. designer on The Shaggy Dog could have been doing the best work of their career. The costume designer could have been fucking crushing it, but... Because everything else about that movie sucked, that doesn't get recognized. You know, uh, a, a movie like, um... I don't know, like Joe Somebody, maybe the maybe the sets 
well, the sets weren't really good in that, but if they were, no. like, a million things <laughs> need to work. And a lot of these, like, a lot of movies that are regarded as bad or that we can call out the flaws in, there's good stuff in them if you look. Yeah. There is a good concept at the core of every bad script. There is a and good performance. Is there one in Zoom? Zoom? Zoom might be the one exception. <laughs> Zoom, I, well, I don't know. I think that the book that Zoom is based on, I mean, I didn't read it, but it seems like there was some kind <laughs> of... Which there's no evidence evidence of it in the actual movie i i mean yes i i know but i mean i'm just saying there's some nugget there's some germ of something good the idea mm. that sparked it <laughs> it's just more often than not like one or two things are working and sometimes that's enough most of the time it's not there are way more bad movies than good ones and yeah so to see a movie where every single piece of it is working great is is a really revelation look crazy on the outside no i've got it crazy on the outside i'm i'm gonna Go back to this. I think that the original script that was based on was probably pretty good. There's, like, the idea of it being a movie about a guy who got busted for pirating movies, then having to go to work at a pirate-themed fast food restaurant. There was probably something funny in there before Tim Allen came and laid his eggs in it and turned it into a movie about, like, small businessmen or whatever the fuck else. (laughs) But, yeah... this is this is what happens when everybody on set. I'm not, I'm not willing. I, just for the record, I'm not willing to go that far with you. But your point is made. My, I understand your point and agree with you in concept. And and the, I, I, that's our new catchphrase. I agree with you in concept. And then, <laughs> and then, but then the extra layer of miracle is that you know when they were shooting Galaxy Quest. DreamWorks was at the same time shooting Gladiator, uh, a very big very expensive movie filming in Malta, uh, a a country that is very far away from where they were filming Galaxy Quest, and also one of the main actors in it had died. So, like, just all of the producers who would normally be lounging around on set, tossing out really just great, awesome ideas about how to make the, the things better. Uh, they, those dudes were all in Malta putting out fires, so they weren't able to interfere in production and were only able to interfere in post-production. And somehow the interference of trying to make an, an R-rated movie, a PG movie, somehow didn't make the movie worse and arguably might have actually improved it in certain ways is is uh, again it's just unbelievable that 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 could happen and that could work yeah what do we uh, okay we we've gone through the thing i mean do you want to make any final comments about uh how this movie ends uh them on stage you know stepping into their roles in front of the audience again i mean yeah they, they crash into the fan convention they get out of the ship you know they're each one is introduced to rapturous applause tim is the last one to get out everyone is clapping for him Saris, it turns out, is still somehow alive. He comes out, but Tim shoots him, and he he explodes in a puff of smoke, which is awesome. But everyone yes. is clapping for Tim. <laughs> I love that little the, little effect. Poof. It wasn't. I was expect you'd expect the, like another explosion the way that the the warthog creature would, but it's just like yeah, it's it's like the it's just like the little crackle at the end of a fireworks display. It's 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 <laughs> rent free. But uh, no, but he everyone is applauding and going nuts for him. He luxuriates in their applause for one second, then he turns to his crew standing behind him and invites them to come up and accept the applause with him. Just this is about all of us. This belongs to all of us. I am only able to be this because of you. I uh, just a a beautiful moment 
of redemption and of acknowledging the importance of the relationships with the people around you, which is, a, a, you know, a level of, of um, is pathos the word that we never quite get to on home improvement? Um, <laughs> well, it's a word we never get to on home improvement. And but then we well, go sometimes we do. That's not true. I, I've there, used pathos uh, in regard to home improvement a few times. OK, there. Yes, there are so, there, there are some episodes. And when it does and when we are left crying at the end of the episode, we're like, why doesn't this happen more often? This is like Galaxy <laughs> Quest. They, they all take a bow. We transition to the preview for Galaxy Quest. The legend continues. I, I again, I really love that they went to space and came back and all of them having had this life changing experience were like, no, we all still want to be actors. We want to do the same show again. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's and that's that's Galaxy Quest, a perfect movie that I love more and more every time I watch it. Um, are there any is there anything we didn't cover about Galaxy Quest? Uh, that you want to. I, I have I have one more thing that's just sort of about okay. the entertainment industry, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to be as bitter as I normally am, but I, just pulling once one last thing from the Never Give Up, Never Surrender documentary, kind of at the end when they're just talking okay. about the legacy of Galaxy Quest, and they've got people there who are like, directors at marvel or people who were involved with making various marvel films damon lindelof yeah. they got uh, yeah unless you're talking marvel specific well no but just you know they've got damon lindelof yeah the guy who created arrow is there you know a, a lot of people but people who have worked with marvel you know are talking about all the the line all the creative executives at marvel are huge fans of galaxy quest and they're talking about how yeah. this you know and they're talking about the influence on guardians of the galaxy which to be sure yeah i'm and I just, the, the last thing I want to say is just what I have read about the creative process at Marvel is that there are always executives on set. There are always executives involved at every level of the creative process. Every single thing, every, every creative change, every, every decision that is made creatively has to be run by a couple of fucking Harvard MBAs. And I'm just thinking, if you guys were really like, fans of Galaxy Quest, you really appreciated what Galaxy Quest was about, you knew the story behind Galaxy Quest, maybe your reaction would be, hey, we don't need executives babysitting everything. If we leave these people alone, they might create something unique and weird and really good that has lasting appeal. <laughs> um, but it's kind of it's kind of play into a 20 movie arc. I, yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. That's yeah. And how and how how do we market this in Indonesia? How do we how do we get the uh, the overseas but you know the overseas uh, uh, box office returns? I just for all of the legacy that this movie has had, I, I love that that the people who are actually in charge of putting money into movies and getting movies made have not learned anything from it. Like they've not they've not. No one looked at this case of studios kind of being hands-off for one reason or another and thought, hey, maybe we should just give smart, creative people money and see what they make. And no, that is... That's what makes it a unicorn. Okay, I, I'll leave that uncommented on. Uh, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I just don't have anything to add to it. This is a this is a very strong way to end our two-part episode about our favorite movie ever is... Okay. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll, I'll end by... Uh, this observation I had, um, and it, it goes a little beyond Galaxy Quest, but Galaxy Quest is um, partly how and where I I recognized it, which is um, we talked, you know, about Tim Allen's 
life in the movies. We've covered a lot of them, and we talked last week that this this is the only instance in everything that we've watched that felt like an actual film, yeah. a movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's big, it's, it's shot widescreen, like, this feels like he could have gone on to bigger things and not just, you know, Tim Allen movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not Big Trouble, not The Shaggy Dog, not Joe Somebody. Be- between filming the first part of this and the second part of this, I, I watched... Uh, a Kirk Douglas movie called Ace in the Hole uh, mm-hmm. for, I know, the third or fourth time. Yeah. And I saw an alternate universe of Tim Allen's career playing really interesting, challenging roles like a Kirk Douglas's uh, career trajectory mm-hmm. took. Yeah. Um, that was a sentence I didn't construct very well, but I think the idea is there. Yeah. Uh, he he could have been a Kirk Douglas. Uh, instead, he, he kind of just becomes a stock brand in and of himself Mm -hmm. um but there are moments in galaxy quest uh i think i think the moment that it occurred to me is like in every kirk douglas movie there was a he was stipulated to have a scene of him taking his shirt off (laughs) yes and 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 it was the 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 rock uh rock monster scene where he's held upside down and somehow loses his shirt (laughs) that i'm like oh that's like a kirk douglas thing (laughs) and then the the like synapses in my mind connected i'm like oh my god that's who that's the type of characters Tim Allen could have played are just kind of like, because Kirk Douglas never really played a, a likable character, but he played compelling characters yeah. in compelling movies that were sometimes funny, sometimes not. Um, and I, I just, I, I had a, a, a moment, a, a mental spiral of just seeing what Tim Allen's career could have been. Um, you know, I guess I'm not really, I have my own uh, thoughts on that, that, but you know, he was, he's successful. Like he doesn't need me to, (laughs) to stipulate that that would have been a better career path for him. But um, yeah, I just see much more interesting things that could have come from this particular role and where he was heading. And I'm wondering if he got scared off by feeling the, feeling the feels and actually acting. (laughs) Well, and he's like that. I don't want to do any of that. I just want to do stuff I'm comfortable with. I, I mean, I don't, I think that, uh, I think that, that there's an argument to be made that that could have happened. I mean, there's that scene in the, in the documentary where they're talking about him filming the Mathazar scene and afterwards kind of like being very shaken and saying, I, I need to go back to my trailer. I, I don't like feeling this way. And Alan Rickman saying, Oh, I think Tim just discovered acting, but like, that's, I, I you know, I, I think that, he, you know, you kind of, you look into the darkness of deep space or the darkness of your own soul and maybe you don't like what you see. Maybe you just want to be a clown. Maybe you just want to be Joe somebody and not, um, not whatever Kirk Douglas's character in Paths of Glory was, was named. <laughs> because, well, right. Because, I, I, look, I mean, that's kind of the main Kirk Douglas movie I've seen, but I can also, like, dramatic Tim playing that role of this man who has to lead his troops on a suicide mission for no reason and has to grapple with the meaning of that and his concepts of duty and honor and everything. Like, I think he could excel at that role. This is a glimpse of a different different path. And I I mean, I think the parallel that I draw, if we're just going to, you know, really go hog wild, speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, I think Chris Pratt is kind of on a similar trajectory. I mean, obviously, Hmm. it's not like the guy needs me to give him career advice. He's certainly making money. But what you see in Guardians of the Galaxy is Chris Pratt doing doing something he's great at and a thing that only he can do. He is playing 
this cool action hero who also can like fall through a manhole cover or like slip on a banana peel and sell it as a comedy moment, a thing he's great at. Since that movie, he has become more and more just like, I'm going to play a Navy SEAL in a movie. I'm going to play a different kind of Navy SEAL in a movie. Even the subsequent Guardians movies, he is more brooding and like ragey and like just a stoic action hero. It's like, I, he, he has a thing he can do really well and, and excel in that he's choosing not to excel in. And I feel like that's kind of like where Tim Allen went after this. I, I actually, I, I hear the case you're making, and I, I think Chris Pratt is an interesting proxy, but I, I kind of feel the opposite. Cause oh, wow. I, I feel like Chris Pratt is a, an example of a career that Tim Allen could have had. Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like Chris Pratt is in movies, you know? Like, he's not just doing Chris Pratt films. Yeah. I mean, he, Chris, he's playing within the limited range that he has it's like serious chris pratt you know in a, a war movie or comedic chris pratt in a war movie whether that war movie set in space or not set in space is you know uh to each individual film but um i i you know he's at least doing well whatever I, we're speculating on shit that doesn't even matter but i i i kind of see the opposite of what you're saying there and um I don't know. There's just lots of other ways. And, you know, our listeners, Tim Allen, anyone doesn't need us speculating on what could or couldn't have been about a certain person's career. So, I, you, um, no, you know what? Fuck you, Chris Pratt. You're making lots of poor career decisions. It's It was actually a bad choice to play both Mario and Garfield. And all that money that you're making uh, is actually not good. <laughs> Suck it, Chris Pratt. I No, you know what? I'm, I'm going to come out. I'm going to. Go out on a limb and tell Chris Pratt, who's definitely listening to this show, that he needs to he needs to take more advice from me, the guy who was only able to live in L.A. because of rent control. <laughs> Galaxy Quest, won't you? Oh God, uh, Galaxy Quest. Well, I, I you know I, I felt it was somewhat appropriate to to put our final thoughts on the Tim Allen filmography as we come to an end of our. Grunt work movies. Yep. We're done. We're done. That's it. We're over, folks. No more Tim Allen movies. Truman, we're released. We're free, we're free Genie. Yeah, well, do, <laughs> but but no, but do, do you think, though, that there's going to be some race of, you know, 90s sitcom watching aliens who hear our podcast and then, and then abduct us and force us to watch every episode of some alien sitcom with a lot of problematic ideas about gender roles? <laughs> Um, time will only tell. There, there's some some alien going going like we agree and we are in agreement. We're like, don't say that. Don't you ever say that. <laughs> get 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 up to oh. get up to the space podcasting studio, and there's an actual grunt creep running around. <laughs> <laughs> we we've constructed it from watching the oil drums on your show. Um, oh my god, I have integrated us with home improvement grunt work is a very separate thing from home oh, whatever not anymore oh lord we're we're here we're done we're done oh my god um this is just kind of dawning on me yeah so um <laughs> where do we go from here uh we have a very special bonus episode for you next week uh Ooh. before we get to the grunt work series spectacular god i have so much homework to do for that god damn it i have to watch oh. so many episodes <laughs> So do I. Um, oh, God. Uh, but next week, 
if uh, if you want to follow along, I, I don't know where you can find access to this. It might be online, might be on YouTube. I don't believe they have added it to Hulu or any other place that you can watch Home Improvement. But what we'll be covering next week, it's called Tim Allen Presents A User's Guide to Home Improvement. Mm. It's a... Uh, hour long as far as television is concerned so 43 minute uh special uh live on stage uh tim and and uh richard karn reprising their roles uh and a look back at home improvements and bloops and i i think it's going to be a good summation for us to go into the final episode of the series spectacular kind of a good a refresher we've had um how many months away from home improvement now? I, I kind of feel like it'll be a good uh, brush up for us. It, it, it will be a good brush up. And it also might hurt though, after we have just spent two weeks going really deep on the best work Tim Allen has done in his entire career to then go to an hour long special of him mugging. But you know what? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Tune we'll in see. everybody. Yeah. It'll be good. We'll like Tune it. In. So we've got that coming for you next week, and then we've got the Grunt Work series spectacular, and maybe maybe a few other surprises along the way. Um, I guess uh, if you want to help support us on this this final stretch of our journey and guide us into the next show, uh, you can and support Grunt Work Legacy. Your yes. your hard earned dollars that go toward. Uh, supporting the show will help keep grunt work alive for many years to come um, long after we have said adieu. So <laughs> if you want to support any of that, you can do so by becoming an official grunt head sponsor over at patreon.com slash grunt work pod. Uh, your contribution can be as little as $1 and it will go toward keeping the mics plugged in for this show and the rest of our shows that we do moving forward as well as get access to an entire archive of our supplemental show, Gruntwork Nights, which will be coming to an end as Gruntwork comes to an end. But uh, forever, you will be able to, uh, I mean, as long as Patreon exists, maybe that's not going to be forever. <laughs> who, I don't know. Who knows uh, with any of these things? Yes, exactly. Uh, but as long as Patreon exists, you can get access to um, close to 300 episodes of this weird supplemental show that we do. Um, so if you like grunt work, you can get more grunt work just without the home improvement. Um, if you don't want to do that, you can support us by leaving us a rating or review on Apple podcasts or wherever you download these things. The algorithms put us on top when there is activity in our channels. And uh, without that activity, we will just be forgotten to the annals of time. So don't don't. Put us in the annals, guys. Yeah, yeah we get don't, us out of the annals. We, we don't want to do annals, so quit asking. Uh, wow. Or you could stop by. Given zero support from the rest of my crew <laughs> drifting in space. <laughs> you are the rock monster floating, <laughs> floating away. Um, uh, you can stop by to say hi to us on Instagram at GruntworkPod or shoot us uh, an email at GruntworkPodcast at gmail.com. You can find more information about today's episode as well as all of Gruntworks episodes over at w- our website, which is <laughs> <laughs> unlike <laughs> unlike Tony Shalhoub, I miss a lot of cues over at www.gruntworkpodcast.com. Oh, until next week when we bring you Tim Allen presents a user's guide to home improvement. I have been Landon Solano. I've been Truman Caps, and remember, Narak Tara, Narak Tara, Narak Tara. Narak Tara. 
See, three, three's it. Yeah, three, three's, three's how far you go. I, I find, yes, you get weaker the longer you do it. Just like our show!